you know, I come here, I just want to relax, and then and then stuff like this happens. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm very sorry, but we gave you more butter, so everything's good now, right? <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Howdy! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hi! And today we're going to talk, continue our series of best of the years we've been alive. We're getting into a new decade, uh, the year 2000. I am a man of constant sorrow. I can't make new memories. I'd my signal. Unleash hell. Did you know I'm utterly insane? I'd helped you once I'm going ahead. You still got a car. Suggest you use it for you're not welcome anymore. We live or we die by the clock. God loves a terrier. Is it better to burn out than to fade away? In the year 2000. Yes. Now, here's a th- here's we a thing. We all have flashlights under the our The year tents. 2000 is technically still part of the 20th century because there's uh-huh. no year zero, right? Mm-hmm. But this is actually the beginning of a new decade for a new millennium. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, it was going to be the end of the millennium. Everybody thought 2000 is the, definitely the beginning of the new millennium. But then you had a bunch of, you know, assholes who came out and said, there's no year zero. So this is really like the last Newman. year. Yeah, 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 like Newman. <laughs> and uh, they, they screwed it up for everybody. We wanted to have a nice even number to start everything off with. But, the Newmanium. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I guess what do you, you want to kick this off with Gladiator? Best picture of 2000. Sure. Best picture. Best picture? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I think my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, has seen this movie 300 times. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. I believe it is her very favorite movie ever, and I believe every time it comes up, I question her sanity. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to come out and say this is a bad movie. I, I don't think it's a great one either. But it, you know, it it was a phenomenon. You know, it was just one of those movies that was not only a big, huge box office, but critical praise as well. Yeah, and why it was did it all- get so much critical praise? I mean, this is like Sword and Sandals typically haven't gotten that right i I really don't know i i I don't know why this one did maybe it was just because i don't know that back then i guess the special effects seemed great the tigers and stuff i think the spectacle of the fighting was a little ahead of its time in Mm -hmm. in the sword and sandal genre if you will like but i think it's mostly russell crowe this is his first huge star making really engaging you know connecting with mass audiences i think that's probably what made it such a hit yeah yeah he came a long way from like the tubby-ish uh character they played in la confidential and like just got all ripped up and gladiatorized and well stuff. and even la confidential he's sharing any of that movie's praise with four or five other people mm-hmm. um this was his first like major movie starring role where i think he killed it performance wise yeah mm-hmm. he had done the insider just before this that and it that was still more of a an ensemble piece right. even though he was the main character the main character of that movie but this one is one where he is asked to carry it yeah 
and uh and he does i mean he's you know russell crowe's a great actor and everything it's i I, and i I, like i said i like this movie i just felt like i was missing something that people other people were just like quoting it to me and you know they just loved it in a way that i i couldn't quite understand joaquin phoenix is really good in it he's great yeah He's, he's really maybe the best part of the film actually i mean He's so odious. Yeah, yeah. He has a high odiosity. <laughs> well, the incest kind of helps with that. Right? Yeah, yeah. As it is wont to do in film. Yeah. If you want to creep people out, just put a little incest in there. And, you know. This is the new incest movie, Gladiator? I don't know. That's it's, how you describe it. It's pretty damn prominent it, in this movie. Now, my question is, though, do they ever come right out and say that the kid is theirs? I don't think so. Because doesn't she have a husband that he kills? Yeah. And that's he put him on the front lines or something like that? I don't like think anything is overtly declared but there are entire scenes but where he's basically groping no her. no there's there's um, no there's definitely incest or at least like an attempt at mm-hmm. incest in this i'm just saying that they they i don't know they seem to have they put this kid in here he's kind of a mystery but they do do say she's married i guess she was married yeah or whatever and he like had him killed or something like that and very david Bathsheba, Uriah yeah, kind of story. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, for those Bible fans out there. Yeah, you yeah. dropped a Uriah. <laughs> hey, I remember what I remember. <laughs> I memorized a lot of the Bible when I was a kid. This was the uh, the last uh, role of Oliver Reed, who died during filming, and they do some weird stuff with the, his... Is he the pit boss guy? Yeah. yeah. And when he dies, he's like, they cut to a scene earlier in the movie. Yeah. That make it look like it's in that scene, but it's not. And it's, oh, it's so weird. But, you know, there wasn't, I don't know if they had really mastered that whole, well, they still, they. I mean, they did it in the 90s with John Candy and all that. He used to do all the digital, like, inserts and stuff like that. This mm. one, they just straight up find a scene from an earlier part of the movie and throw him <laughs> in there. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, good movie. Just, yeah, uh, I'm just, not crapping I, on it. Yeah, I just, ah, man, why Why did people love this so good much? Good quotes yeah. on my mark, unleash hell, and are you not entertained? And yeah, all that yeah, stuff. are you not entertained? Great great lines on mm. it and everything. I just, I don't know. I don't need to get swept up with like a, other Another people. big movie that was a hit that had one man carrying the show that everyone loved more than me was Castaway. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not a bad movie. Uh-huh. Although, once you leave the island, I don't need any of that oh, shit. Oh, no. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's there's some good stuff in there, but it could have been cut down. Well, I mean, bit. him in the water and losing Wilson, uh, that's all keepable. I mean, once he gets back to land and when the whole Helen Hunt's married and I'm going to kiss her, but not actually go back with her. Like, I don't need any of the take the package to the farm lady. Yeah. I don't need any of that. Because what's on the island is so freaking good. It is. Well, and classically spoiled by the trailers because... <laughs> Zemeckis does this all the time. Because that's what <laughs> Zemeckis, uh, Zemeckis' philosophy is about trailers. He feels like you should go ahead and spoil it and tell people what they're getting into when they want. And how can you argue? Castaway and What Lies Beneath, what he also came out with this year, had trailers that gave away huge huge plot points and they were both big hits they were i don't but i'm wondering how big of hits they might have been had he not done those with done that with the trailers would they have been the same would it would have been less i I think tom hanks on an island at least is going to get the same amount of butts what lies beneath could have been a different story yeah 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 um but 
I mean, how good is Tom Hanks here that when he loses a volleyball friend, yeah, you almost cry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think my wife does cry. Like, how he sells that relationship, and it sort of makes sense in the way that, you know, a guy alone talking to himself might create this excuse to talk to himself um yeah and there's only one spot where he really looks like he's going crazy you know right. it, it's it's kind of halfway when where he's just like really having a conversation but other than that like he's being sassy to him and he's yeah. like you know it's by that point though you know how much this ball means to him even though we all know it's a ball right. or whatever it's not real i mean yeah he sells it for sure because he's like screaming after him like he's a baby yeah. you know and everything yeah. and, and uh uh, and it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, man, he lost the thing that kept him sane yeah. this whole time. Yeah. Something that he at least felt like he could play off of and everything. And it's like it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, but it's an amazing part of the movie. He also really sells that I've made fire. Scene. I love that. Yeah. I love <laughs> that scene. Tom Hanks has literally been trying to make fire for three weeks. <laughs> He's yeah. pounding on his chest. And bro. I wouldn't be surprised if they did some of that in filming, like to where he had failed enough trying it that when he did it there was something he could draw on there mm -hmm. i don't know but uh that scene is so good and funny but important right if he doesn't figure out fire he dies long before he gets off the island yeah. mm -hmm. uh, anyway i like watching it i stop watching it once he gets back to land but i flip a, away yeah that's an interesting year for zemeckis because he he shoots all of the hanks bigger scenes right. for castaway waits for him to lose weight <laughs> And goes and does what lies beneath in the meantime, and then comes back and does the what you know the other parts of it. Well, and that pays off too, right? The weight transformation in the cut. Oh yeah, and the film is so dramatic. Um, I don't know you could have done it any other way. Yeah, but yeah. Creatively, where he had to basically take his mind completely out of one thing and put it in another. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and Zemeckis has has two movies in the top ten this year with the box office. Good without. solid year. He his movies always seem to do well at the box office and impress most people more than they do me lately. Yeah, like yeah, in, yeah. In the Back to the Future era, you know, I'm I'm much more in on his earlier work, like Flight and The Walk and all the stuff he's been doing lately. I'm just not really feeling mm -hmm. uh, but they, all his all his movies make money yeah there's no doubt why he keeps getting work that's so weird that what lies beneath was such a huge hit because it, it's not enduring right i mean no you don't really you, ever, you don't really ever, ever hear people talk about that movie anymore. yeah it had harrison ford yeah and it was a pretty slick looking thriller um but i i mean you and i were working together at the time that mm -hmm. trailer came out we were like well Almost no reason to watch that. One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it is a good trailer, though. Yeah, I mean, it was still it's the the trailer still gave you enough curiosity about what was going on, and it was a horror movie essentially that it that it drew audiences in and everything. But yeah, you have Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer in the same mm. movie. It was kind of a you know it was, it was sort of a no brainer hit. But yeah, yeah nobody talks about that movie. No, today. not at all. Going back to sort of the connections, the kid in Gladiator is also the kid in Unbreakable. Yeah. yeah. And Unbreakable came out. This was M. Night Shyamalan's follow-up, and both uh, both you and I love this movie to pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, it made a decent amount of money. It wasn't a huge hit. Um, and, and man, I always wished that he would have come out with a sequel yeah. to this movie because it sets up everything so well in the first one and uh, and but he always has said i didn't feel enough love for this first one yeah and he's a boy he's a touchy guy isn't he yeah um and you know he made the visit and now he's got this new movie 
uh, Split coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're both getting more praise than anything he's done in between Signs and Now. Mm-hmm. Um, Unbreakable has a shitty ending that I hate, where it's almost like they ran out of money or just <laughs> yeah, gave up yeah. and said, throw it all on a title card. Um, but up until then, it's nearly flawless for me. Yeah. This is the first time any movie had taken superheroes seriously in yeah. the sense of saying, what if this was actually real? How would these people react? And it takes David so long through this movie to even believe it's possible. Uh, and that seems realistic. Yeah. You, a regular human discovering they had superhuman strength would take a long time to actually accept that. Yeah. Um, anyway, I really love this movie. It's just on the other day. Uh, I can't not watch it. Yeah, it doesn't have the pretense of being a superhero movie. That's the thing that I like about it so much. And that's why it's so different and has endured to me. I don't know. We may be the only people to talk about Unbreakable anymore. I don't know. Maybe not, maybe maybe there are a lot of other fans out there, but um, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed that fact because you're 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 sitting there watching this and you're kind of like, well, what's what's his deal? I don't mm-hmm. understand. And then you know, okay, he's oh, he's got superpowers. Yeah, and everything that's amazing. And uh, and, and another yet, great twist at the end. Yeah, too. it has a great twist. But like Jeremy says, they vomit all over that twist. Yeah, they sure do. Where it's like, man, I'm, uh, you know, I'm stunned by all these turns of events that are going on here, and man, and then it, then and then suddenly it's just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Bruce Willis told some cops about him, and they went and got him. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> that guy's a bad guy. Yeah, he's in jail know. now. I don't know if I've ever heard or read him talk about that. It's I guess it's theoretically possible he was trying to do something comic bookish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at least that would be what I would say if I were him yeah. as like an excuse. Uh, it doesn't work at all. No. And he doesn't do anything like that in the rest of the movie. But this is my favorite uh, M. Night is good with color example film. Mm-hmm. And he's good with color even in The Village, in his crappy movies. His use of color is always exceptional. But in this movie, all the blues and, and purples and... Um, I, I know some people think he takes it too far, but uh, almost like Wes Anderson, I enjoy the visual aesthetic of M. Night's movies, yeah, even yeah. when the films themselves are shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the first time I really noticed M. Night sort of like calling too much attention to himself as a director, because mm. he does a lot of these like... They're the spinny. Nif- yeah, 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 which is cool, but like uh, mainly really the scene where he's talking to the woman on the train and and it keeps going yeah. back and forth between in between the cushions mm-hmm. and and uh and stuff like that you see that really get to a it's nadir or whatever and signs yeah because oh, yeah. he because he would do that he did that in every like chance he got or whatever or it was just like you know like here i'm gonna move the camera isn't this slick this is amazing <laughs> i'm hitchcock yeah this is magic well even the opening credits of that movie are basically you might as well just scream i'm hitchcock yeah, exactly. like yeah. it's black and white it's got that all the strings i mean and he had compared himself to hitchcock long before this anyway so um there was an actual real superhero movie, and that really sort of kicked us off to where we're we're at now. X Men came yeah. out in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Singer. This is sort of the the what we would start seeing, right? A guy who made a huge independent hit, yeah, has now become a big director behind a comic book thing. We'd see it the next couple years with Sam Raimi and Spider Man, and then Nolan, and Nolan. Um, 
but uh, yeah, X Men a huge success. Um, when I look back at it now, I don't like the movie as much as it did back then. Yeah, it's it's not even probably in the top four of the best X Men. Uh, probably series. not. But what was cool about this is that we had all had superhero movie fatigue of having too many characters, Batman and Robin. And, uh, you know, all the really the Batman things where you just oh, throw some more villains in there, throw some more that characters in there. That movie also has Batgirl, Poison Ivy, Bane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That movie's ridiculous. Yeah. But X-Men at least got the ensemble characteristics pretty good. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And uh, you had Ray Park in there. Yeah. You had, like, really good, like, <laughs> characters, like, sub-characters, except for Halle Berry's disappearing <laughs> accent, African accent. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and a lot of that is uh, Joss Whedon's brush up on the script, which oh, yeah. gave us all those best jokes, like when Wolverine says, you're a dick, and uh, yeah. also gave us the lightning frog line, which he's famously <laughs> said he intended to be delivered in a different way, and it was delivered as this great proclamation <laughs> yeah. by Halle Berry. But a lot of times, this is the same thing with Crimson Tide and Tarantino's brush up, and you watch the movie, you can see, if you're a big Whedon fan, you can see mm-hmm. the moments of levity. That's what makes this movie work, yeah. is the interplay between those characters characters uh the second one that'll come here in a couple years is i think far superior yeah uh, best one of those original three um but also we have to acknowledge this is where we first get um hugh jackman as wolverine mm-hmm. and uh over many many films that has become an iconic performance absolutely almost as much as iron man was just perfectly cast and mm-hmm. will never be lived up to. does anybody recall there being any backlash to hugh jackman being wolverine i don't recall it but I know there must have been some because at that time he was fairly unknown to U.S. audiences. Yeah, it, it always goes back to every time I hear about the backlash. There's backlash for everybody who gets the some sort of iconic role. Yeah. There's always that's just not the right person, whatever. Like Iron Man, Robert Downey yeah. Jr. and Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, it just seems like everybody gets that tr- kind of treatment, and- except for Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Patrick Everyone Stewart- on the planet went. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's sort of the thing that I always go back to when we talk about like Idris Elba being James Bond, like, you know, that would be amazing, but there's too many people who think that, well, James Bond is this particular person, so Mm. he can't be Idris Elba. And if you were to put him in there as Bond, everybody who likes Bond would still go watch the Bond movie. There's not anybody's going, well, I'm going to boycott that shit, you know? Well, and how often are we wrong? A lot. Yeah. Right. Ben Affleck announced as Batman yeah. and the internet takes a year yeah. to shit on him. Yeah. And ultimately, most people think he's one of the best Batman ever and the best thing about Batman v Superman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, same, we're wrong a lot. Same same for Heath Ledger, although I oh, was exactly. although I was definitely in the minority who was like, "Have you seen this guy? Yeah. He's amazing." Yeah. But um anyway, um what else is in 2000 you guys want to talk well, about? Well, I want to talk about Almost Famous. Yes. This yeah. movie is magic yes it is i have maybe never seen a film that felt more magic to me yes i became that kid right i fell in love with the girl i looked up to the rock stars even though i saw their flaws Mm -hmm. i cringed at mom Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and this is why i think he's such a great director is he's able to do that frequently put you in the shoes of his main character um but almost famous is just god you guys love this movie right yeah yes i do so if you've never seen Almost Famous, it's basically uh, set in the 70s. It's a story about a 15-year-old kid who fakes his age and resume to get an assignment for Rolling Stone to go on tour for a few days and cover this band, this fictional band, Stillwater. Um, and 
it's based on his real life experiences. This is yeah, like Cameron Crowe. Right? Cameron Crowe actually uh, followed around uh, bands like Led Zeppelin and the Who, the Allman Brothers, like I think, the yeah. Eagles, yeah. yeah. And so um, it feels real, right? Yeah. Just the same mm. way Fast Times did after he did all that undercover research. Mm-hmm. Like he knows the world he's in right now so well and so much better than I do. But a lot of this just comes down to uh, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson just fucking arrives yeah, in this movie right i think she carries the movie mm. um she makes you fall in love with her she breaks your heart um uh, she is she's an angel in this movie mm-hmm. right yeah uh the music is really fantastic uh one of the weirdest cameos ever with jimmy fallon yeah <laughs> also pretty funny too there's a moment uh two-thirds of the way through the film where the lead singer is fooling around with kate hudson but patrick Fug- Fugit goes to do his interview and he knocks on the door. And as soon as he knocks, you hear the guy inside go, please go the fuck away. (laughs) (laughs) And I used to quote that when I managed a 10 screen um, for Regal at the end of my career. He had a camera to where I could see which employee was outside the door knocking. And depending on who it was uh, and whether I could get away with it, I would say, please go the fuck away. (laughs) Um, And... uh, Anyway, I just adore this movie. I I have the DVD that has like the four hour edit. Have you ever seen that edit? Yeah, yeah. Where the... like Kyle Gass from Tenacious D yeah. is like a DJ interviewing them, <laughs> but he falls asleep in the middle of interviewing because he's so stoned. It's it's uh, <laughs> called something else too, right? The, it is. It's the... called Untitled. I think. Yeah, yeah, Untitled. And and uh, but uh, this is a uh, this movie is you're right. It's magic because it's sort of. Uh, it gets you behind the scenes of uh, what happens to these bands who are up and coming. They're yeah. not, they're not just some low rent band or they're not, and they're not exactly, you know, super famous exactly. yet, almost famous. Um, but they, uh, they still have some of the problems that a cheap band does along with the notoriety yep. that a, uh, that a big band does. So it's like, it's fun watching them go through all these different, types of things on tour and everything and especially what the heart of the movie is is that billy crudup is a married rock singer Mm. who is fooling around with kate hudson and it's a pretty normal thing like they don't really think of it as a this is kind of something i should be guilty about or anything right you know even though they don't want their wives to know about it right but um but you know uh living in that world and everything and then you see this 15 year old kid who's wanting everything to be good and wants everybody to do the right thing yeah. and all that and uh and and you know caring about them and that's why the the philip seymour hoffman stuff is so great yeah. too because yeah. it's like oh man you you uh they made you think you were cool yeah and yeah, hey yeah. man you're not i've never met you you are not cool you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh it's uh yeah it's an absolute and you have yeah this is one of those movies if you haven't seen this movie Go and tweet Jeremy about it later, how you're renting this yeah, movie and watching it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It. You won't hate it. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have no soul. Great soundtrack, too. And there's uh, actually a, a couple of tracks or one or two tracks from, from Stillwater yeah, yeah, from yeah, yeah. The, the band. Well, and uh, famously, one of the only movies ever to get Led Zeppelin's permission to use yeah. a song yeah. for yeah. that scene when they're driving over the bridge into New York. Uh, yeah. It's good stuff. Jason Lee is great in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, fantastic. it's another great cast, I'm only basically. the fucking lead singer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what else, guys? Uh, one of my favorite movies to watch any time of the day is High Fidelity. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, an all-time performance from John Cusack playing a character that makes you believe that it's actually John Cusack. Um, su- supreme record nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that they're very condescending to anybody that comes into the record shop. Uh, in fact, they admit that halfway through the movie. 
but you know, the whole thing is predicated on this breakup uh, with his girlfriend and him going through the top five previous relationships. And it's hilarious. I mean, yeah. the whole thing is hilarious. You get great supporting uh, help from Jack Black in a great, yeah. in a great turn. And uh, just everybody is is humming on this. Lisa Bonet is in there, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a great snapshot. And you actually have kind of an arc, but at the end of that arc, he's still an asshole. Yeah, he's oh, yeah, he kind of is. This movie was made for music lovers. Yeah, right. I think that's part of why you adore it so much. <laughs> and I just I love it. I just don't. I'm not going to put it in and watch it regularly. But it does contain my favorite. Um, line reading ever from Cusack and that's like the second or third ex-girlfriend he's called and gotten information from and he's like so excited to be learning and he's like I should have done this years ago <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just the passion of the realization that he's having uh, is so awesome in that delivery but I, I think the movie's great um, I don't know about the girl that plays the girlfriend I don't know if I've ever seen her in another movie. She's no, like she's Robin White's weird cousin. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, I think she's foreign and has an yeah, accent yeah. that's struggling in this movie. But everything else about the movie is really humming. Nobody <laughs> comes off. Either one of them really come off well. Like she's kind of not. She's not a great person in her character either. And he's certainly not. But he's so wrapped up in this whole fictional universe of music that he's just kind of like, yeah, that's what I get to fall back on. I mean, there's one point he's like, I realized to my surprise that I had flunked out of college. <laughs> if you and your friends like making lists for conversation's sake, like, okay, all-time five best movies by Zemeckis or what have you, this movie is for you. Yeah, Even if yeah, you're yeah. not a big movie buff, it's it's made for movie lovers and list-making lovers. Well, yeah. it's, it is amazing how they compartmentalize almost everything through these lists. The Especially, like, I love the one with Jack Black where he's talking about, like, they're talking about all-time songs about death uh-huh. uh, and they they uh they do the one the uh the rolling stones you can't get what uh-huh. you got, can't always get what you want and he's like uh minus points for having been in the big chill <laughs> <laughs> and then they all accept it they're like yeah you're right yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh but yeah i love high fidelity as well and, and tim robbins has a nice little cameo in it too as this you know like uh, what like a hippie? I guess like a old fifties <laughs> yeah. hippie. Awful cooking smells. Yeah. Um. Also coming out in the year of two thousand. Oh brother, where art thou? Yeah. Oh, talk brother. about a soundtrack. Yeah. Uh. This maybe even though the movie's great, better known for the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, because it put the whole like southern bluegrass thing back on the map, especially yeah. in these parts, because so many of the musicians on the soundtrack are local Nashvilleians, mm-hmm. and they did so many concerts and performances. And yeah, whatnot. it's the T Bone Burnett connection that they had from Big Lebowski yeah. and all that. And um, this is a is it? It's really hard to pinpoint when Clooney became a marketable name, and this movie is not huge by any means. It didn't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like it made 45 million, which is probably a profitable uh, profitable for this movie, but uh, it wasn't a huge hit by any means. It's not really until Oceans that people started going, "Okay, I like Clooney as a mm-hmm. movie star or whatever." But um but uh, this movie's so fun. Yeah. It's so fun and it uh, was it, it's uh sort of patterns itself over the Iliad or something The what Odyssey. Is, the Odyssey. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's over the Odyssey. Same difference. Yeah, they're the same. They're the same fucking thing. Super long poem where nothing happens. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know, typical Cohen uh, Cohen brothers uh, wit and charm. Yeah, and screwball and type of comedy. Yeah. yeah, 
Well, yeah. hilariously, Clooney lobbied hard to do his own singing. And <laughs> yeah. like, when he did it, they were like, yeah, no, we're going to get somebody. <laughs> nope, nope. Which makes it sound like he was like tone deaf. And I doubt that was the case. I'm sure he was fine. He wouldn't have wanted to do it if he was like shitty. Yeah. But it's kind of hilarious to me that so many people do that in movies and get it right. Yeah. Uh, and then this poor bastard didn't. Well, get it and right. his aunt was Rosemary Clooney. So that's correct. He, mm-hmm. he thought they thought maybe, maybe he's got something in his gene. And they, and after they did it, he's like, well, nope, I'm not my aunt. <laughs> let's get, let's yeah. get Dan Tominsky in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah. And then he knocked it out of the park because that's one of those songs. That's the song that you remember. I, I remember the most out of. Oh Lord, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the, and it's well, a great well, song. Of course, of course, I guess it's the one that's also being played constantly mm-hmm. in the movie, too, because it gets on the record and everybody listens yeah. to it and everything. But it's the song that also, I feel like, has the most power out of all of it, too. But... Uh, uh, but yeah, man, such a such a fun movie. You got a lot. <laughs> you got the great great cast in this too. John Turturro yep. and Tim Blake Nelson and all that. So um, uh, yeah, all the regulars like Stephen Root is is the blind. Yeah, uh, Stephen. Root. Oh yeah, we we gotta <laughs> we gotta uh, b- battle that competition. Well, John Goodman's in it too, right? Yeah, yeah, Who's he's John Goodman. Yeah, yeah, John he's Goodman. He's the KKK player, guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's a part where he like goes and robs Clooney and yeah, Turturro, yeah. Or whatever, hits him with the board, and yeah, which is one of the, the which is one of the, the oddest, yeah, yeah, which is one of the oddest scenes ever because because he hits he hits uh, Tim Blake Nelson with the uh, the board or whatever, and Clooney's like just sits there and keeps talking to him <laughs> like nothing's happened. <laughs> what are you doing, big <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then later on, yeah, when they go to that Ku Klux right. Klan yeah, rally yeah. and everything, and it's the most ridiculous cake. <laughs> Era. oh they're all dancing and stuff and running back and doing these ceremonies then yeah he's the one main guy yeah. but, you know um also in the year 2000 wonder I mean, boys wonder boys another mm. great one. Oh my god wonder boys. this is up there in my book with sneakers in terms of great movies that didn't do a lot and mm. nobody seems to remember yeah and this is just such a solid little dramedy basically character study of this Author who had one huge hit novel that was a raging critical success, and now he teaches writing and has been writing his second book for eight years, smokes pot, cheats on his wife with the chancellor of the university, and he basically, we follow them for a day or two. It's him, Robert Downey Jr., his maybe gay, maybe bi literary agent, um, and Toby Maguire, who's this weird, disturbed, uh, pathological lying writing yeah. student. Um, on this weird adventure that includes Marilyn Monroe's coat, <laughs> a dead dog in the trunk, a tuba case, uh, a transvestite. Uh, this movie's so much fun. And a car that they've <laughs> stolen, apparently, from well, he, a they, guy. The guy thinks they stole yeah, it from yeah, him. Yeah. That's never resolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just give the guy the car yeah, at the end. pretty much. <laughs> um, one of my favorite hilarious car accidents ever, also like sneakers, mm-hmm. um, where Robert Downey Jr. doesn't drive stick. He's just sitting in the car, but the dude who thinks he owns Michael Douglas's car pulls a gun. And so Robert Downey Jr. panics, and he's driving. And, of course, all 8,000 pages of Douglas's novel are in the car. He only has one <laughs> copy. And, like, you just see the car kind of squiggle a little bit and then hard left turn into a brick wall <laughs> yeah. and like half the pages come flying out. And, of course, he loses well, all and, of his work. And you see Downey, like, 
fruitlessly trying to pick up all the pages like he picks up five pages and then shows it to douglas goes around and picks some more there's like pages everywhere like he's gonna salvage the novel right this also has alan tuddock uh in a very small (laughs) role as the janitor student but one of my favorite laughs in the whole movie and of all time is he's he's driving michael douglas home because everyone's left for the night and he douglas came back to pick up uh a backpack and so this student is driving him home and he's like, is it true Errol Flynn used to put paprika on his dick to make it more stimulating for the will- woman? <laughs> Michael Douglas is like, well, Christ, why should, how should I know? He's like, you're reading his autobiography and it's, of course, Tobey Maguire's backpack. And yeah. so then Michael Douglas covers it. He's like, oh, yeah, I used to put all kinds of stuff on it. Ground lamb. <laughs> 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 and then Alan Tudyk's gone for the rest of the movie. Yeah, like, Alan Tudyk's like. Really? Sick. (laughs) Um, This was directed by Curtis Hanson, who unfortunately uh, died uh, this past week. Um, Same guy that did L.A. Confidential. Did L.A. Confidential. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have followed this up with a more different type of movie. And this is another one. Really, honestly, you could watch Almost Famous and Wonder Boys back to back. It'd be the perfect double feature. They both have the same tone. And uh, and it also uh, adds a little bit of flavor to uh, to um, Tropic Thunder when you know Downey Jr. and Tobey Maguire's yeah. relationship in Wonder Boys. Yeah. You see the Tropic Thunder thing later. It's like that's what they were meant to do in I movies. Mean, they apparently. totally sleep together in this movie. Let's not pull any punches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love this movie so much. I could watch it right now, and it's got a great soundtrack. Some. Some of that late Bob Dylan acoustic. Oh, yeah, like yeah, The song yeah. Things Have Changed is what opens the, the film with the opening credits. And I remember, I'm not a huge Dylan guy, mm. but I remember the music really struck me. Um, what else, guys? Okay, so there's another one-two punch in this year from Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One is Traffic, which won him Best Director. Mm-hmm. This was another split, by the way. He had the Best Director to go to Traffic for and the Best Picture, and the best picture went to Gladiator. Meaning Ridley Scott has been shut out a number of times yep. for best director but uh but uh, he does traffic and he does aaron brockovich aaron brockovich i believe was the much bigger hit uh although no that traffic made about the same amount of money julia roberts yeah oscar yeah. winning yeah this was a makeup oscar because you think so i think she's good in it but i don't think there's this is either actually two of my least favorite soderbergh movies and i don't hate them mm-hmm. um i like them both but there wasn't anything about that performance that felt like i think what it was was she had never gotten one and there was nothing else really to compete with her this year. Yeah. But I, I didn't walk out of that movie going, damn, she fucking killed it. She well, it's essentially a biopic, right? Yeah, it is. It's yeah. uh, it's about uh, it's about a, a person who was a law clerk. Yeah, yeah. Who ended up learning about all these people and everything. Of course, the real story uh, uh, I come to find find out is that the lawyers ended up screwing a lot of these people too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Afterwards, they weren't they weren't yeah. as good guys as we thought yeah. they were by the end of it, but. Uh, anyway, in movie terms, she's you know she's the hero, and Albert Finney, Finney's a great hero in this movie, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, Julie Roberts certainly had one of the most showy, crowd pleasing roles, and I think that's what sort of won it for her. I mean, you know, it's a lot of like yelling and and mm-hmm. you know and you know cleavage, yeah, and cleavage yeah. and 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 all that. So. Uh, but uh, but Aaron Brockovich is uh you know it's a it's a good movie it's yeah, a good yeah. solid mm-hmm. movie and Traffic is an even more ambitious movie yeah. that he did and I I'd love to know if he did this just like back to back or like what how did in the world did he get two movies like this done yeah. 
in one year. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Brockovich came out early and then traffic was later or something like that. But, um, but man, what a huge one, two punch that traffic is. had those, that wonderful dichotomy in the, the, the color scheme, right? It's really striking. I love that movie. I think it's, it's beautiful. I think Michael Douglas is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Douglas, Catherine Zeta Jones, mm-hmm. Benicio del Toro. Yeah. It was a huge cast in that. Um, but, uh, Topher Grace, Topher Grace, <laughs> that's right. Who would later show up in Ocean's Twelve? Yeah, he must have kind of a good relationship with Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's a guy who's told us in a couple places online, and if we don't pick Memento as this year's best <laughs> mm. film, that we are dead to him. Mm. Uh-huh. I don't know if that will happen, but we definitely have to talk about Memento. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. This is no. one of the most inventive original concepts in all of history, Mm -hmm. which ultimately I think hurts the movie for me um, because some of the rewatchability is gone for me. I realize some people think this is the most rewatchable movie in history. Uh, And it ends up historically in my mind feeling a little bit more like a gimmick. Whereas some of his other films have really kind of got close to touching my soul. Mm -hmm. Um, And this one is just really cool idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very well executed. This is a film, if you don't know, that basically plays out in reverse. Yeah. Uh, I had never seen anything like that. I'm sure Hitchcock did it when he was a student or something. (laughs) And basically what what it does is that it it makes you reassess every scene you saw before it. Right. At first you're like, okay, I know... Okay, I kind of know what's going on here. And then the next scene comes up and oh, there's added context here. Uh especially with the Carrie Ann Moss character yeah. that they do they does that quite a bit in this where where you're like, "Oh, okay, she's definitely on his side." Then the yeah. next the scene before that, oh. Oh crap. <laughs> that whole scene that I just watched. And I think that's where people are talking about the rewatchability factor is because they like to watch this with new context each time they mm-hmm. watch and, and yeah it's your he you watch this and it's like it's the very ending of the movie but the the end which is actually the beginning of the movie is a perfect ending yeah. to this movie because it just sort of it it tells you exactly what is going on with this character all the way through it he uh he can't make new memories and and he's basically screwed himself for this whole movie because he puts down basically don't trust this guy and 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 so everything that he does is is based off of that at that point so um but yeah extremely inventive movie i really brain work it does yeah well and because we're duty bound to mention seinfeld every episode there's that episode where they have a wedding in india oh yeah Yeah, the whole episode plays backwards Uh just like memento of course it's like the comedy version of memento came out before memento though yeah i think it did Did yeah seinfeld Uh ended in 1998 so then they stole memento from Seinfeld. they sure did let's go get them son of a bitch let's get (laughs) them all right anyway (laughs) nolan five Um, hours later (laughs) another one i'm showing came out in 2000 but this is one i'm worried i have the date wrong because imdb and google suck is american psycho yeah that did come out in 2000 all right well i think we should talk about that yes um christian bale one of his best performances arguably his best by some this has a huge cult following yeah Mm -hmm. that quote the the business card bone lines (laughs) and and all the lines about Dorcia and the other restaurants they go to. Uh, this movie is ostensibly about a serial killer, but then sort of leaves you questioning what you've seen. Right? Yeah. yeah. To the point where he might have imagined all of it. And I think it sort of, the last time I saw it was a long time ago, but I think it cuts off without really ever telling you. Yeah. No, it well, tells you. Well, I mean, he, he, it's, he didn't commit any of those murders. No, he right? didn't. Yeah. 
He didn't. Okay. Uh, yeah, because he calls his lawyer and he leaves that big long confession. Confession. And he's like, I killed a lot of people, <laughs> you know, and uh, all that. And uh, and so then, like, he finds out later that the some of the people he thought he killed are actually still alive and they're on vacation. Yeah, uh, like Alan, Jared Leto's character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, but. That that said, um, this is <laughs> this is a star making performance for Christian Bale, and he's basically doing Tom Cruise. Bale definitely does a lot of Cruise isms yeah. in this, and uh, and it, and it's mainly because he 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 felt like when he watched Tom Cruise, there wasn't anything inside like yeah. there was no soul inside so he tried to make this as as Tom Cruisey as possible. So that's why a lot of the his performance seems like that it's very dead inside all he, the way through it he does sit-ups while he's watching pornography and like he's like mm-hmm. Boy, I, and he loves phil collins like, yeah, yeah. yeah more than me there's so yeah. much quirky shit in here about like his musical tastes and everything and how he interacts with people reese witherspoon showing up just kind of out of nowhere and uh, <laughs> anyway and and like I mean, willem dafoe like getting in yeah. there and doing that creepy like you listen to the news yeah, you like it. You listen to it. And, oh my god! Well, and, I love this movie. Well, it's Brett, Brett Easton Ellis that wrote the the book, and this is kind of like his oeuvre, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he had done. Uh, he wrote the Rules of Attraction mm-hmm. and uh, Less Than, Less Zero, than Zero and all that. But uh, the thing about Willem Dafoe's performance is they made him do several different takes. One where he thinks Bale is the killer. Another one where he doesn't think Bell is the k- killer, and another one where it was just normal line readings or mm. whatever. He's just a detective trying to, and they used all the different ones. So that's why you can't really get a your finger on what yeah. Defoe is doing throughout the movie because he's just like he's asking these questions he's like oh he definitely thinks bell did this mm. or whatever and then then the next time it's like oh he doesn't think bell did anything at all uh it's an unusual movie to, i mean it's just the way they put it together and everything is just you know it's really good mm-hmm. well and it's violent as hell even though none yeah. of it actually happens <laughs> right just right fair warning well and the, <laughs> it's got i mean even though it's very very like uh i don't know dark humor and everything man there's just a lot of stuff in here that'll make you laugh man <laughs> especially his yeah his whole ta- his whole uh treatise or whatever you want to talk about uh on huey lewis in the news <laughs> and the sports album yeah. and all that other type of stuff and then like uh then like he's got the he's got the two prostitutes in his room and and everything and he's like crystal don't just stare at her ass eat it <laughs> Oh my god! And then it, it ends up that scene ends up with him chasing after her with yeah, chainsaw, chainsaw naked blood all, all over through this thing and, and he drops just it. it down the <laughs> yeah, staircase yeah. and it has this crazy visceral laugh after that. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, good movie. Um. What else, guys? Well, I'm running out of movies. I would intend to vote for but there are still several worth discussing that i think are on this list what about like you're about to say one yeah what about crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah Yeah, at the time and for a long time biggest independent film ever well it was the biggest foreign language language film yeah um ang lee again yeah uh, and showing that that guy can do just about anything that he wants to he sure can he can do you know a regular drama he can do a big huge wire foo type movie like this mm-hmm. grouching, grouching tiger hidden dragon 
um, introduces us, introduces a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people really knew Chow Yun-Fat at yeah, the time. Probably, like, I don't think so. Uh, uh, he had done some American movies before that where they were trying to make those Hong Kong style thrillers in the mm-hmm. 90s, uh, but none of those really ever connected. And then you had, um, who else was this? Michelle. Michelle Yao. Yeah, Michelle Yao was in this and everything. And uh, But it's such a beautiful movie. Oh, it's gorgeous. It was yeah. a phenomenon. I mean, people yeah. hadn't seen, because when it takes, literally and figuratively, where it takes off, mm-hmm. and they start doing these crazy acrobatics that you're just not expecting. Like, you're expecting like a normal kung fu movie, and they're fighting and all that stuff. But then when they get up there on the trees, and they're they're going back and forth and everything, it's just shocking but it's gorgeous i love this movie yeah yeah it's uh it's you know it's one of those things where there's so many like impossible type of things it feels like you know they they don't ground it in any kind of reality at all these Mm -hmm. guys can jump like you know several feet in the air they can dance on trees they can do all these different types of things but it's as soon as you're you know you've gotten into that or whatever you can just yeah it's just an enjoyable Mm -hmm. you know martial arts movie well and it kicked off a bunch of imitations, right? Because mm-hmm. we had the House of Flying Daggers and Hero, and it just became like a genre for four or five years. Yeah. There. None of them ever lived up to Crouching Tiger. Yeah, I think there. I may could be talking out of my ass on this, but uh, I believe the the wire, uh, the wire guy who was on the Matrix basically was behind a lot of these movies. Too. Oh, yeah. I think he was. Yeah, uh, when we ping. Yeah, 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 yeah. He. Uh, that's sort of what the Matrix sort of opened up the the door for these type of movies because they started doing these impossible type stunts and everything using wires and um, also chris don't just talk out of your ass eat it yeah that's a good idea that's a damn good idea uh let's talk for a second about requiem for a dream yes Darren aronofsky mm-hmm. um, his follow-up to pie a movie i will never watch again requiem yeah, yeah. i believe this movie was pitched this way Okay, so near the end, Jennifer Conley and this other prostitute are going to have a double dildo while a bunch of men chant <laughs> ass to ass. But before that, I'm going to disgust you for an hour and a half. That's the pitch for this movie, right? Yeah. Um, I am one of those uh, people, though, that if if you can get around that, <laughs> yeah. it is an amazing achievement in filmmaking. It is. Yeah. Uh, it is... Uh, it, it is a perfect look into all of our addictions that we have in this, uh, you know, in this life. TV, which yeah. is Alan Burstyn's thing. But there's all sorts of other little, you know, little uh, lifestyle. Yeah, addictions. lifestyle addictions mm-hmm. that are they throw in there. Um, and it basically, yeah, it's showing how far somebody's going to go to continue to do those things and everything. And they, of course, it's it's way over the top mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, you know, I guess it's one of those things like, would you rather them just find some other kind of over the top type of thing to do this? And, and, you know, are you just, I mean, it's one of those things. Do you hold back or do you just, let's just go for it. All right. Double dildo at the end. Yeah, double be, dildo all the way. Yeah, ass to ass. <laughs> um, but, uh, not only that, but you have Jared, Jared Leto keeps showing up all yep. over the place in this. Yeah. Like it, it's it's weird to me like i never have thought of him as a guy who was in a lot of movies mm-hmm. until we started talking about this late period this late 90s early 2000s period and he's just in so many yeah he's been in a bunch but uh but you're talking gross the arm yeah oh, jared God. leto's arm but the the scene with it the this ass to ass in it and everything has some of the most amaz- amazing editing and music 
to get combined yeah. together thrown it's one of my favorite scenes i could watch it over and over again and i know it's like got a lot of like you know mm, distasteful porn. thing yeah porn in it uh but uh it's it's got a lot of distasteful things in it but it's just the way it's put together the just the well, the whole movie's edited so well that you, i mean i'm pretty positive he was trying to make the viewer feel like a hopeless drug addict in mm-hmm. certain scenes and and that's accomplished through the music and editing yeah. in ways that a lot of other movies haven't come close to mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to watch I, uh, while we're saying we like it and chris loves it and it sounds like we're recommending it just no going in it's a tough movie it to is watch. an extremely tough movie. ass to ass just no going in well and and don't go in there thinking you're gonna see jennifer conley and some hardcore oh yeah like, <laughs> don't go into yeah it. no it's not porn at all no it's not it's see. not sexy right yeah um it's it, disgusting yeah you feel so terrible for right her. don't think you're gonna go in there that you know oh this is gonna be some serious no it's not like that at all but it is a filmmaking achievement yeah. there's no denying that. yeah it is, is and this i don't what aronofsky is best known for you think i hope not I hope The Wrestler is. That's a much better film. I don't know. I don't know if he's known more for that, though. I mean, that might be a better movie. But Yeah. Uh, I, Black Swan? I don't Swan? know. If, I actually, Black Swan Black might Swan. be. Might be. Yeah. But I think I think if you were to ask just the random film student nerd person, they would come up with this one first. Interesting. Um, Not because, The Fountain? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> totally. Noah? Yeah, Noah. Um, what else do we need to hit here in uh, 2000? Can we talk about Best in Show? Well, yes. it's, it's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah. I, this is this is my second favorite Christopher Guest film. Mm. Um, I mean, this is Spinal Tap. Is, is Well, I mean, do you mean Christopher Guest being in it? Christopher, because, this is Spinal Tap, to me, is a Christopher Guest cause, film. Because, yeah, Guest didn't do the movie. But, yeah, yeah. but like... Okay, so you like this better than Waiting for Guffman, even? I do. Okay. I don't. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I'm, not, it, I'm the same but way. But it takes the same pre- or a similar pretense and just like this this mockumentary type of thing and follows around these people who are obsessed with dog shows. And if you, some people may be listening that have been to dog shows, I've been to a couple of them. Mm-hmm. There, there are these types of people out there uh, that are just ate up with it, you know? And I, I love his whole cast. I love, he has one of his Christopher Guestiest roles yeah. in, in this movie. Um and like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara and Michael McKeon is is awesome. This movie is hilarious to me. It makes me laugh every time I watch and it. And sort of the the precursor to the dodgeball um yeah. uh you know uh, announcers. You have Fred <laughs> yeah, Willard, Fred Willard yeah. in here d- basically saying a whole bunch of inappropriate <laughs> stuff while his put upon co-announcer is like really knows his shit and everything that guy's actually an actor he just he just learned a oh, bunch yeah. of stuff about uh, dog shows uh-huh. and he he kind of that people actually thought he was a real dog show guy and uh and uh but fred willard's playing the guy he's just like just throw the monkey wrench into everything <laughs> well and they're all back together for a, a new movie or tv show i think it's on amazon have you guys heard about this yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. about mascots mm. um and i think his character from Waiting for Guffman has a cameo in the audience at the mascot. Oh, really? Uh, like he's playing Corky or whatever. Um, That's in awesome. This new thing, and honestly, I have no idea if it's a show or a TV series. I can't tell anymore with some of these trailers the way yeah. they come out. Uh, but he's got the whole gang back together again, and I'm kind of excited about They're it. They're great. Um, let's go through two dirty sounding uh, movie titles. One is Snatch. That was Guy <laughs> Ritchie's uh, follow up to Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Really good movie. Yeah. A uh, huge cast in this, and another kind of like uh 500 stories going on at once pulp fictiony type of movie 
Brad Pitt is the most unintelligible person yeah. ever, but it's great. Oh, yeah, it's he's great. Awesome. Because the things that you do pick up out of his speech are hilarious. Yeah. yeah. They're all hilarious. And it's like like a whole thing about like furniture and stuff in one in one speech. You know, like, <laughs> you know it's just like it just what is what's going on with us? Um but uh I, it's an, I mean it, Benicio del Toro's in this mm-hmm. too. Like it was this the like the most actoriest year ever like there was so many big casts yeah maybe it's always like that but more of them hit than n- normal mm-hmm. um but uh but snatch and then you also have blow which came <laughs> out. um snatch and blow is my favorite that's party game. right that's right um blow is uh i know that well actually blow came out in 2001 shit but so, now we need another dirty so now, sounding movie title so yeah so, quills yeah quills <laughs> <laughs> Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Um, anyway, why don't I just say, hey, Snatch, that was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it was. I love that. Yeah. I love me some Snatch. Yeah, man. I, I love Snatch so much. I actually think um, I like Lockstock better. I think I still think that's my favorite Guy Ritchie movie, uh, but it's close. Snatch is really, really fun. Yeah. Well, remember the Titans? I know a lot of people love mm-hmm. that. I'm, I, I think it's just a normal One of the ever. best, holy shit, they were in that movies to watch ever. If yeah. you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in five years, go put it in. You're going to see like 15 stars in the background. Yeah. Also, if you want to get like motivated for something, like as they're doing push-ups and Denzel's like right by him going, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, yeah. fourth quarter. Like that would get me fucking pumped up. Yeah. That Denzel. You know, oh yeah. Um, Danny Boyle came out with a. Uh, uh, what is this? The Beach is just one of those. Oh man, I watched The Beach just recently, and that movie is a tale of two different movies. Yeah. Sure. And that first one, Jeremy actually said recently, like I, I'm totally on board with that first hour. Yeah. It's interesting. Like it's engaging. Tilda Swinton is awesome. Leo is fantastic in this. Yeah. But then. What the fuck happens at the end of this movie? Yeah. Drugs. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. Yeah. Drugs. It's weird. Um, Jim Carrey uh, follows up uh, with the Fairly Brothers in Me, Myself, and Irene. Mm, another which multiple personality. has 20 minutes of awesomeness, and then it's like pretty okay after that. Like the big scene where he first breaks yeah. is one of the funniest things. I was like doubled over laughing yeah. during that. And then after that, there's like a couple of good scenes here and there, whatever. But I didn't like this too much. What, what do you think of me, myself, and I? All I remember, I saw it once. I, I screened it on Thursday night before it opened on Friday. There was like 10 people there. And all I remember is that that time they do it in the hotel mm-hmm. when he's the other personality. And in the morning, he wakes up and goes to pee. And it's one of these like 40-year-old virgin shots where the pee just comes straight up at his face. Yeah, yeah. And he yells, why am I peeing like I've been up all night having sex? And sometimes, this, don't judge me, sometimes I'll ask my wife that randomly <laughs> from the bathroom. I don't have any reason for doing it. It's just one of those weird random lines I quote. It's all I remember about that movie. Uh, also in 2000, uh, Wolfgang Peterson's The Perfect Storm came out. Another yeah. Clooney. But man, yeah. it might be the movie. Movie that got him that's the one that, that made the most money yeah right? yeah yeah this that one was a big hit it was six that made 182 million that year it's one of the outliers in terms of those like sweeping boat dramas mm-hmm. right we get a couple every year and they all bomb like this year we had in the heart of the sea and their finest mm-hmm. hour nobody mm-hmm. went to see either actually those movies both made negative money yeah well and this one though had didn't it already had a true story behind it and a best-selling book and 
then all that a huge couple of cast. Hunks. Yeah, that yeah. huge cast with Mark Wahlberg and all that. And John C. Riley. Yeah, Hunky man. John C. Riley. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, uh that was a that was a tremendous hit. If um, we ever send that movie, it would be wall to wall uh deadliest catch quotes. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes it would. Also, um a uh, little horror movie that spawned five sequels, Final Destination came oh, yeah. out. Uh, I, I only mention this because, and this will tie in nicely to our theater stories that we're going to get into and everything. I remember a uh, guy at the theater uh, during the scene where the girl gets hit by the bus. Yeah. Went over to the master volume and turned it all the way up to ten when the bus hit the girl, and then turned it back down. <laughs> Motherfucker! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy shit! That's a terrible thing to do. That oh is a terrible. God. It's already a, a scene that it, by that point people getting hit by buses. I think was still a cliche even in two thousand. <laughs> but I don't think anybody was expecting it in this one yeah, because because so she's like yelling and and like you just think okay well whatever and then boom gets in with <laughs> this guy whatever did cranked it up well and this <laughs> is i think you could look at these movies as like the precursor to the hostile and saw movies in yeah. terms of like what kind of torture before death can we put people through? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's all Final Destination movies are about, Those right? Those movies are ridiculous, oh man. And like when they're they're in scenes where they're not going to die, like everything <laughs> the, the the camera focuses on, like the, it's like the worst ceiling fan ever. <laughs> it's the most faulty wiring of a toaster ever put to, you know, it's just like what? Death is Who so lives good and elaborately killing people is a wonder he ever struggles yeah. Right? Oh, like, <laughs> yeah when he much. wants to he can pull in five elements of a kitchen to kill that dude who loses a ring down the garbage yeah <laughs> exactly um mission impossible 2 came out Woo, john john woo horrible horrible Stink. entry into Stink. the mission impossible franchise and it, it just it's sad to me because john woo is such a great director and then when he came to america he started making you know very average type movies he, he was you know he was he was, they cut him off, man. Something that he normally does, they just wouldn't allow in America for whatever. Except reason. for the slow mo and the dubs. I think oh yeah, they allowed him to do mm -hmm. that because they wanted. They still want to say it's a John Woo movie. And Tom Cruise riding a motorcycle. Yeah, and Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, I never saw the Emperor's New Groove, but I know that's a big movie for a lot of people. Well, that, that was fun. It. Yeah, it's that was a, a big fun following, mm -hmm. but I don't think critically it was up there. Yeah, um, uh, Pay It Forward was a uh, <laughs> was. Uh, the, yeah exactly what <laughs> jeremy the said from the sixth sense the guy from american beauty and helen hunt and fuck everything up and, and make a boring ass movie yeah like, yeah the whole idea is is like don't pay the person back pay it to another person yeah and so it made a it was a mini movement in america well, it still is it's like a i bet it i bet it's in the phrase dictionary people use it all the time yeah. oh my god yeah that movie is terrible yeah. and while battlefield earth came out this year <laughs> speaking of terrible yeah um also uh a movie i really like frequency came out uh, oh um, the dennis quaid yeah dennis quaid jim and, and jim caviezel um uh I believe they're making a TV show out of that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, guy finds a radio and he's able to talk to his dad in the past, yep. and it's kind of got some time travel. Well, and there's elements. a firefighter cop element too. And what little five year old boy in America doesn't at some point want to be a firefighter or a cop? Yeah. And then you add in the dad issues. Uh, it's a it's a good draw, solid movie. I like it. Mm -hmm. Big hit. Meet the parents came out. 
big hit. Um, don't really have much to say about it other nope. than it's it's got the the funny ending to me. The funny can you deal with that? Yeah, and it's pretty much <laughs> a movie that I don't think very many people saw, but it was it's part of that. Um, what is that? Ardman Animation Chicken Run came out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chicken Run was really good. It is and the it Wallace and Gromit it just type didn't of capture the people. The way, I mean, I think it made plenty of money, but it didn't become a Pixar level hit. No, no, none um, of those have ever become. No, but I would almost put Ardman. This is the Wallace and Gromit yep. studio. Uh, I would almost put them right up with Pixar and like all their movies are, have been great. Oh yeah, and they've got and Sean the Sheep that just came uh-huh. out last year was fantastic uh the pirate one they did was awesome uh i just make really charming charming stories. yeah they've got that british wit to them they do and, and it's it's really clever to watch as a parent too um cheese grommet and yeah now i'm yeah i'm definitely gonna like we have amoris paris which is the uh, alejandro g in uh movie then you have um dancer in the dark lars von trier scream three uh came out that was terrible um <laughs> and uh no boiler room was a good movie yeah I like that was boiler a sort room. of a I just good, saw part of this yesterday sort of a good follow-up to glengarry glenn ross if you ever really want to have that type well, of well and another eventual superstar cast huge cast yeah. in this yes um but you have a little cameo from ben affleck yep. and ben, ben diesel G- uh, giovanni ribisi is the main character in it yeah scott Kahn's in it Neil yeah Long. it's oh. almost like a pre uh wolf of wall street type yeah of yeah it really is it really is uh without it, the new diddy and cocaine it's sort of gotten a following over the years too which i'm glad to hear mm-hmm. in the room because when it came out nobody saw this show um dude where's my car Dude, Ooh, where's my car? Um, that's, no one, man. Uh, I like Dude, Where's My Car? Because it has absolutely, it gives no fucks whatsoever <laughs> about what kind of stupidity that they're willing yeah. to go into. And if you're going to be stupid, you be that. You be that stupid. Yeah. Don't don't try to you pretend like, yeah, don't pretend like you're smart. Um, you got to go full stupid. Uh, <laughs> the A nice Sam Raimi, Raimi movie, The Gift, came out. Uh, oh, also. I like that. Great movie. That's a good canoe performance, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great movie movie um and uh yeah it's uh i haven't seen it in forever but it's it's great the gift has a has a really creepy scene always kills me there's a, a thing where she goes out uh to to look over kate blanchett goes out to look over like the water and everything and it focuses on this fiddle player across this the water and he's just kind of lazily playing it and then it cuts to this quick edit of like, like this real jerky <laughs> stuff freaks me out every time yeah 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 um you can count on me. Really good movie. Um, Laura Lenny, Mark Ruffalo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good stuff. Really good movie. Um, Finding Forrester, the Gus Van Sant follow up to Goodwill Hunting. Is this the one with Sean Connery? Sean Connery, you're the man now, dog. You're all the man now, dog. <laughs> yeah. So are you ready to vote? Let's vote. Let's do it. Today's order is Chris, Barrett, and Jeremy. Aww. All right. Well, almost famous easily. Um, it's by far the class of this this year for me um just you know it's it's funny it's dramatic it's got the great music it's uh it really gets you in it really gets you into it um i can't think every time 2000 comes up this is the movie that immediately hits mm-hmm. my head so this is that's the one for me yeah you're right uh i actually really like crouching tiger hidden dragon that was the main contender for me but almost famous is my pick too yeah, yeah. Fuck. so i have no say in the matter and i want to tell you about patty Patty was this girl in my high school who was in all the honors classes with me, and she always got the best grade in class by 5 to 10% over the rest of us. And I was smart. I was a smart kid. I got straight A's. But if I got a 92 
and I was the highest grade otherwise, Patty would get 100. <laughs> I fucking hated Patty. Mm -hmm. She worked harder than I did. That's probably why she did this. Anyway, Almost Famous is the Patty of this year's movie class. <laughs> um, and there's no way I was going to vote for anything other than Almost Famous because however good any other movie from 2000 is, Almost Famous is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we have a consensus we pick do. Yeah. that gives the finger to the Academy yeah. and the dude who's now dead to us, or we're dead to him because we didn't vote Memento. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. the way it goes. Good pick. I'm not your, I'm not your I'm guy, not your buddy. buddy, guy. <laughs> hey, guy. <laughs> All right, so uh, today we're going to get into Theater Stories, Volume 3. Yeah! I want to tell you a story. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. We have done two volumes of Theater Stories. I'm beginning to wonder, though, at some point, we may not have any more good stories to tell. Or <laughs> well, we could just start making them up. Oh, yeah, we could. Or I could get into any of the you know well r-rated stories that i don't tell on these do shows. it right you could do that you could do that um i think everybody's got their like you know moment of intrigue of you know whatever in theater like uh messing around with people of, of sex is what we're talking about everybody we could talk about sex stories if we want because yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody <laughs> that's ever worked at the movie theater for longer than barrett did has fucked one other employee well and even and even, and even barrett probably yeah, actually it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much every 16 year old that comes through there is like all right i'm fucking the next day yeah so uh, jeremy and i uh we both have long movie theater careers i started back in 1993 and and worked all the way up until 2013 uh he had one that's pretty i mean he had it was like what a good 10 to 15 years yourself as well right yeah yeah, yeah i would say 10 10 and a half years yeah and we all had you know i mean we all had different experiences that way i i worked i worked through concessions and floor and mm. all that up to an assistant manager's job and projection and all that uh jeremy's been a gm i never was that uh but the thing is when you when you when you work at a movie theater it's just it's it's a community there's a lot of people that come through there's a lot of people who are, who are insane that come through <laughs> and they're there for two hours. It's not like a fast food place where you go, you know, they go and get their food and they leave in like 30 minutes. This is, they're there for two hours and anything can fucking happen. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah. So most of the time it's these, it's customer related, but I mean, there's also some other things. There's some things that you did when you were at the theater that was, that were amazing. I, you know, talked about the, the thing with the dark night where we had two prints and we, we ran it through seven auditoriums and it was badass. <laughs> that is awesome. And, uh, you know, there's there's some victories, but most of these are going to lean towards what the fuck was up with that? <laughs> so anyway, uh, do you want to start this off? Sure. Um, I'm going to start with a story from the era when I was a GM, which was only about two years at the end of my career. Uh, and one of the first things that Regal did when they promoted me was they sent me off to the home office for this thing they called Regal University. It was actually pretty solid week-long classroom style training, motivation. Most everybody I ever knew who went to that came back legitimately motivated to be a better manager and do better promotions and treat their employees better. And then it all falls off two weeks later and you mm -hmm. go back to slacking off. But um, one of the things they talked about there um, was uh, what to do with uh, repeat complaining customers, especially in, I was, I was GM of a 10plex. And so when you have smaller theaters in smaller towns or suburbs, you get a lot of people who complain every time they come that the sound is off here the popcorn sucks tonight the it's too blurry and they just you know frequent complainers whether they're trying to abuse the free pass system or they're just 
dicks. Uh, and so this guy who led the training program was like, here's a tactic that I've used that I would suggest. Turn that person around and make them your secret official, like secret shopper, right? Like ask <laughs> them to give you feedback on more than just the movie. Make them feel important, right? Make them feel like you're taking their feedback seriously. Yeah. Um, and you will almost always find they, they stop complaining and they turn into a happy customer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right. But about six months in, I found this guy at my theater. And he was about 50, dark hair, glasses, kind of mousy, unassuming looking. But the first three times I ever saw him, he came out to complain. And I gave him his money back or gave him a pass. And so on the fourth time, I was like, listen, you have a really good eye. And we don't get secret shoppers up here, but like once a month from the corporate office. So if you could, I'm doing this whole thing step by step, like they told me. I'm like, if you could come in, you know, check out the bathrooms, look at the video games, make sure the carpet's not too trashy. Eventually, I even was having him go up in the booth, check the employee break room. Just basically, he, he came in the next time with a clipboard and this <laughs> Holy sheet shit. he printed out. And it was basically like my morning walk inspection sheet, only he had made it up himself. And this dude took this shit seriously. He yeah. asked me to let him in the stock room, which is where all the expensive inventory is. Oh I didn't God. do it. but So this goes on for about three or four weeks. And slowly but surely, he's finding less and less wrong. He's coming up to me just to chit chat. And be friendly and not bitching about stuff. And I'm like, this is awesome. I've won. And he, one, one of these nights, it was a Friday night. I had three or four managers working. And we were all in the office talking. And a uh, security guard, which was a sheriff's office, was there. A uh, sheriff's officer. Um, <clears throat> and this guy comes to the door to hand me his inspection sheet. I'm like, awesome, man. I'll take a look over this. And we'll try and do better next time. And enjoy your movie. And he goes off. The door, the door shuts. So the sheriff's officer goes, who's that guy? And I go, Oh, he's this tr problem customer that I turned into a secret shopper to make him happy. And he's like, that guy's on the sex offender registry. Oh, <laughs> I arrested that guy. Oh, he had pictures of his own daughter, hundreds of them on his computer. What the oh, fuck? And I'm Jesus. like, I did what corporate said, <laughs> but I put my teenage employees oh, in contact God, with geez. this apparent pedophile. Oh, my God. And it, oh. I was so horrified. Oh, my God. And so eventually I said, well, listen, corporate's cracking down. I can't do the secret soppers on my own anymore. I hope you enjoy the rest of your coming to this theater for movies. And eventually I never saw him again. I think what happened was he exchanged glances that night with the cop that arrested him yeah, who was yeah. working security and didn't come back anymore. Oh, oh my uh, God. But <laughs> I, I feel wrong for laughing at that story, but the, it's just such a, a, a complex system of events that led up to this really wrong, uh, potentially really disastrous situation oh, God. Uh, almost happened. It's, anyway. It's just, I mean, yeah, you can't vet those people. You can't vet no, them. Yeah, are you on the sex offender register? Before I make you my secret shopper, right. let me go Google Yeah, that. exactly. Could you give me some of your information? I didn't information? know the guy's last name, man. I was just trying to do what corporate said. <laughs> Regal University. But did his? Did, did you sending him on the, that type of stuff, that got annoying too, though, right? Eventually, just because he took it so seriously. Yeah, because, I mean, at some point, that guy is going to start giving you reports and you're, and you're just not going to be in the mood for it. Yeah. And it's just going to be like any other person coming to complain about anything yeah and he's gonna have like you know uh you know i saw like uh just the tiniest popcorn kernel on the floor and yeah. all that it's like fuck you yeah you know um that is a horrifying story <laughs> follow that bitch yeah exactly <laughs>
Well, I made a customer cry. Awesome. <laughs> Just awesome. One? I like where right. this episode's going That's already. Right. I made a customer cry once. I didn't hear I didn't I didn't see it myself. I heard about it later because it was all the fucking rage because I made this woman cry. Oh dude, everyone was talking about it. Yeah, it it was it was so it was now that was a weird day in the first place. Now I came from Carmike where I had I knew everything. I knew the concessions, I knew floor, I knew box office, I knew projection. And uh, and in concessions at that particular car mic, and it could have been throughout all the car mics of the world, were really easy. Like it was small, medium, large cups, small, medium, large popcorn, and then you had a small candy and a big candy. That's all you needed to worry about. When you got when I got to Regal, they had nachos, they have a different register, mm-hmm. they have all these different things. The first day I was ever told to go down into concessions and learn it. The chick down there who was like the big like concession person was like, well, if you don't know what you're doing, I don't want you down here. <laughs> so I said, fuck it. Okay. Well, all right. Whatever. I never. Free day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I never like ever learned concessions at Regal. Like they never put me back there. They never said, hey, come back here and learn some of this stuff. And I would have been willing to do it. Although at the time I was very much a projection person, like. At Carmike, I had done all the stuff and everything. And then when a new manager came in, he said, I like you upstairs. You're great upstairs. I'm going to keep you up there. And so that's all I did for years. So then I went to Regal and they they said, well, there's no such thing as projectionist here because everybody's an assistant manager because if they call you a projectionist you can be part of the union that was going on at the time. Uh, The, you know, I, I, I was willing to learn all the other stuff, but they never took me down into that concession. And you know what? Quite honestly, if they're not going to take you down there, you will avoid it as much as you can. Because oh, concessions yeah. suck. That's yeah, the worst place to get the sign. Yeah, I, I feel bad for all of those people who are behind concessions stand because it's the worst. And uh, and they have to stand there for hours and hours before they get a break. And it's like, you know, usually it's like 30 minutes of a break or whatever. So one day... They haven't taught me anything, but I am scheduled as a concession manager. And I was just like, what is there going to be somebody down? No, there's not going to be anybody down there. I was like, yeah, okay. I don't know anything about that stuff down there. Okay. So I'm like, so a lot of stuff's ha- happening during that day. Like, you know, like at one point a concessionist needed a break. I couldn't give it to him because... <laughs> Because I was like, I don't know how to run this fucking register. Yeah. I don't know what, how how am I supposed to do that? I'm sorry. We have to wait until somebody else comes in that can take over for you and all that. So it was not a good day in general as far as that is concerned. But it's getting closer to the end where you're like counting down the registers. You're counting down all the money and all sort of type of stuff. And I'm even having to learn the proper quote unquote way to do that at Regal. So I'm sitting there counting the money, how they do it and everything. And like. This woman comes up and she's got a popcorn with her and she's like, she's like, yeah, there is just not enough popcorn on this, on this popcorn. And I was like, not enough butter on this popcorn. Sorry. Not enough butter on this popcorn. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. And I, I, I really, in my head was like, this is not going to be a hard problem at all. Actually, it's such not a hard problem. You're not thinking that it's that you're just like oh okay we'll just put more butter on it uh-huh. so you know, went over and the guy got put more butter on it and everything and gave it back to her and then she just stood there she's like it's been a very tough day for me today <laughs> and and it, i mean it, you know this is you're you know this is a and i was like oh i'm very sorry to hear that is basically what i was like I was very sorry to hear that uh he's like 
you know, I come here, I just want to relax, and then and then stuff like this happens. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm very sorry, but we gave you more butter, so everything's good now, right? And, <laughs> and she, she goes, you're just making it worse. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. I guess if you're upset at me or if you're up, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sorry we didn't put enough butter on your popcorn, but... Uh, I don't know if you're if you're if you're mad at me, you can go to customer service and we can give you a pass or something like that. And she just still stood there. <laughs> and she goes, I said, and customer service is ten feet behind you. It's not hard. <laughs> oh my god. I'm twenty three no, twenty two at the time, so like that type of way of talking to somebody, you don't really think about the the like vitriol it might cause and everything. Like it's just ten feet behind you, you know. Like you're just really being an asshole at that point. But at the same time, I'm like, how do I get this woman to not, you know, do this? And could 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 you like not be like this? <laughs> Like we gave you your fucking butter. Whatever you're doing, stop doing right, it. I'm right, trying right. to get you to that point. Yeah, could could you not like I mean I, I gave you your fucking butter, right? <laughs> now your butter it's buttered. It's completely buttered. <laughs> like I know you you may have had to like leave your theater for like five you would have been five seconds. Now it's five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're you're making a big deal about it. And I've told you other stuff you can do, but you're standing there wanting some some like magical shadow gate answer of some sort. Like I'm playing some Sierra role playing game. Like I'm playing leisure suit, Larry or, or police quest or some bullshit like that, where I'm like, I've got to figure out the exact combination. I need to go to the roof and find the key and put and open the, the canary's nest and then get the gold out of that and then give the gold to the, the fortune teller. And then, you know, it's, it, what do you do? Like the, the person just stood there. Right. And so like, I finally, I was just like, look, um, I'm, I'm counting. I'm busy right now. I'll, if you have problems, just go to customer service. And I, I left. So I started counting the money up in the count room and all this other type of stuff. And like, I found out later, like she was just bawling crying <laughs> and all that. And even though none of that was my fault, I became the guy who made that woman cry. <laughs> I made that woman cry that one day. And, 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 uh, oddly enough, I was never put into concessions again. It was a win. It was a win actually. Nice. Uh, it was also a little insulting just because it wasn't my fault, but, yeah. but it's one of those things that just goes to show that something can spiral out of your control. Like I was as nice as can possibly be while saying some very asshole things, but <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't bring this on to myself. You finished the job. Like her spirit was already being destroyed. Right, right, right. Whatever was going on with her day and you just fucking finished her off. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I became the guy who made that woman cry. <laughs> and, and, and I had already had the projection incident that I had talked about in, in the first volume of these stories. I already had that had already happened. So, um, so I, and, and I've had many other, like at Hollywood 27, it was hard because people would just always berate you about something. It was never okay. Like it was never like, Oh, you guys are busy. It's why is this? I mean, I understand that if you're a customer, you walk into the bathroom and it's like trashed and everything. You're just like, what's going on? What kind of operation is this? They've got mm -hmm. 50 employees. What's going on? Yeah. 
Uh, well, and mainly it's because it was so goddamn busy all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's like you couldn't do anything that you wanted to do. And like, but yeah, you always get these people who are just unreasonable. But. Concession customers were the worst. Oh yeah. Like that's the only job that I had when I was at Regal, uh, at the, at the theater. Mm-hmm. They, they will berate you and have no problem with it whatsoever. They'll, especially when it comes to popcorn, because everybody wants their popcorn the way they fucking want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether it's like every quarter of the bag, I want yeah. a layer of buttery seasoning, oh, whatever Jesus. it is Fuck on you, there. Dude. Yeah. And of course, there's there's the people that, which I understand, like the people that want the candy poured into the into the popcorn thing. And so what you typically do is you give them the popcorn, you give them the candy and say, go, go nuts, go to town, mm-hmm. right? But there were s- people that would come in and be like, I want, there was one guy that, that wanted m&ms on one layer so it, like a quarter of the bag pulled up m&ms on one layer another layer of popcorn milk duds on that layer another layer of popcorn raisinets on top how and fat I was, was like, that motherfucker he was normal size he just had his kid with him but i was like what the f- okay I, that's unreasonable of course there's a line like 27 people you know going back and everything and i'm like i i, I just don't have the time to do that plus you know we got to open it we got to do all that stuff and he just fucking lit into me like I had just killed his dog or something. I was like, you know what? I just basically threw the candy at him. I was like, you know what? Do you think? Do whatever you got to do. Jesus. Yeah. People. They're yeah. the worst. Well, I wasn't going to tell this story, but hearing Chris talk about working at Hollywood 27 reminded me about it. And this was uh, today. This theater is a shell of its former self mm-hmm. um, in its heyday in the late 90s when it was built. That fucker was doing a hundred grand a night yep. and was selling out half the twenty-seven auditoriums. Mm-hmm. And this was just before the theater chains realized they had oversaturated the market, and mm-hmm. so they didn't clamp down on payroll. Right. So I would, if I was in charge of the floor, which basically meant, well, anything not concessions or booth related. So if somebody pukes, somebody has a fight, auditoriums aren't getting clean, dirty bathroom. Uh, complaints at customer service and the box office manager's busy that was all under my field of view and i worked the floor the way chris worked the booth like they loved me on the floor and i loved the freedom of it because Mm. i could move about the whole building uh and i learned very quickly no one ever pays attention to where the floor manager is (laughs) ever and they gave me there were nights that i had 30 ushers can you believe that yeah to this day and age i bet you a friday night they have three or four ushers. no yeah when, back just before i left on a friday night or a saturday night you would have tops six people yeah and and you had to like f- just figure out the calculus of that right like, uh, you have one side where there's at least two movies that are doing something and then you have this other side where there's at least four or five. And once those get out at the same time as those get yeah. out, you know, you have to like, and then you have to do the bathrooms. You have to get breaks. You have to do all these other different things. They don't, they put the rules in opposition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is back during the era when I just had employees everywhere. I, I would turn the corner and see 11 ushers marching out of an auditorium into the other one to go clean it. And I didn't have to do very much at all. Now, this is actually going to make me look bad for the second story in a row. Yeah. But so unneeded was I on a Friday night on the floor. And this is an, an era in my life where I was in a wannabe Christian rock band. <laughs> that on three occasions, I literally left the theater for three hours at a time, changed clothes in the car, got to a gig, played a show with the Christian rock band. <laughs> Return back to the theater, changing clothes in the car, and no one 
ever suspected a thing. (laughs) The third night I did it was the last night I did it because I cut it way too close. (laughs) Because while I was gone, a security guard got in a fist fight with a customer. An usher tried to slide down the rail from the stadium seating and broke his kneecap. Oh, shit. And one of the other managers, you'll remember... A bit of a Lotharia, even though he was married, mm-hmm. he, he fooled around with a lot of women. Right. Had had been caught by his wife in an auditorium sitting next to one of the women that he was like oh. fooling around with her on. All that happened while I was gone. Oh, wow. I came back, walk into the manager's office. I'm a little breathless from running to get back inside. <laughs> and the manager inside, it was uh, Charlene, says, crazy night, huh? And I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> and I got out of there as soon as possible and went down on the floor, put a broom in my hand, and I said, I probably shouldn't do that. Because that eventually they're going to catch me. Wow. That is absolutely true. Like, like I, anybody I've known who's ever been an usher manager, and I did that quite a bit too there, like on Saturdays and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I would do it. And that's where I would always run into the, like the Blair Witch vomit and all that. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the Blair Witch yeah, vomit. Yeah, and all that and uh, whatever, but... But yeah, like those things tend to just, all those things tend to just take care of themselves. Like if you have ushers, you have a few who just kind of know what they need to do yeah. and they don't really worry about what the other people are doing, even though you have like a lot of slackers on the usher crew. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of people who know what to do and they just go to theater to theater and they don't worry about it. They don't. Yeah. So those theaters are getting cleaned. You don't have to worry about that. Then sometimes somebody will go to customer service, say the bathroom is dirty, and then they find whoever the next available usher is, and they go in there and clean it. So, like, really, your job as an usher manager is just make sure they get breaks and stuff. But even then, you got those guys are going to come up and say, I haven't had a break. Yeah. And they'll get their break and all that. So, yeah, you can disappear easily. There's no no problem with that whatsoever. You couldn't do that in the booth. No. Right? Because no, you no. got to start movies. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't do that at box office because you literally have to be there to change money in and out. You can't do it in the count room because you're on camera counting mm-hmm. money. The only position in the building was floor manager. And I, I just lucked out and I was it? I'm not a very good example of Christianity to leave your job <laughs> to play a Christian rock concert. <laughs> uh, but I was on salary, so at least I wasn't straight up stealing from yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I was paid the same amount and was working 70 hours a week anyway. So, yeah. You know, I, I guess I felt like there was a little bit of damn the man there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You run me ragged. I yeah. work till two or three in the morning. I'm going to go play for Jesus for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that. That's just it, right? The, the, a lot of these places will put all the... I mean, yeah. There's not very many demands they can put on you at a movie theater, okay? Let's let's not <laughs> let's not get it twisted. It's not a hard job by any stretch of the imagination. It's a hard job, but they put a lot of demand on your time. Yeah, and your time is, I mean, it, because Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are so busy, you're doing a lot of stuff on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, yeah. or you know, you're seeing everybody having fun, and you're like stuck here for a whole weekend. And everything. So a lot of that type of stuff, you know, you start, you know, well, if I'm going to be here till two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to get away with a couple of things. Yeah, I'm going to get I'm a here. taco, damn it. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess this is just going to be the one that just makes us all look bad and we're just assholes. And all <laughs> that. I mean, I love that theme. Yeah. I mean, I talked about before that I've seen people having sex in theaters and stuff mm. like, uh, you know, the I remember the one in New York where I was just looking to see if people had you start the movie at nine o'clock. And if you don't see anybody in there, you can shut it off and just, you know, leave it threaded for tomorrow. Yeah. Leave it threaded for tomorrow. So, but there was one that was, uh, there was one that was, you know, running and I saw, you know, open up the door and, oh, oh you know, close, <laughs> close the window. Um, 
at my old theater, my Carmike theater, which was out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, it was behind a shopping mall, but it was mm. like that was in the middle of nowhere because it was like a big field and like, uh, you know, there was like a big, big yard of some sort, mm-hmm. like just a bunch of it was a garbage like ditch or something like huge thing. And then all these houses were behind were behind it. Um, after a while, when you are closing down a building yourself, especially if you're just, just waiting for all these movies to get out and everything, you just go up to the roof and you start just going around looking looking off into the distance and stuff you don't have anything to do one time i saw a couple go around the corner and i was like oh shit what's going on here and uh they like the it was just like immediate she pulls her pants down he goes and just they just go to town (laughs) and 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 you're like oh okay well that's something that happens that's amazing and uh, like they probably were they probably did it for like 30 seconds we're done and they walk back around the corner and their ride shows up (laughs) (laughs) we've only got 30 seconds yeah yeah their ride shows up they get in and everything i'm I'm like wonder what that kind of ride is like where you're where you're like yeah we, i tore it up over there <laughs> um but so I'm like you get you so you get bored a lot of times and i got i got bored a lot i'd get up on the roof and i just start looking out and one time there was another couple that came out and this was in the back and there's like a like a whole like basically virtual picnic area that's in the back mm. here it was like a big yard and a tree and all sort of type of stuff in the back here and I saw this couple and I was like, oh, okay, maybe they might be doing something. They might do something. And uh, and so, like, I'm, like, watching them. And then suddenly I hear, hey, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, god damn it. <laughs> Did you do, like, a, like a and shoulder so roll or something? I like, waved. I, like, I waved at them. I waved at them. I was like, hey, what's up? And, uh, and, uh, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Hey, how's it going? No. And then I went down, I went down the ladder. I went out and I met them. I said, hey, how's it going? And they're like, what are you doing looking at us? I was like, well, you know, sometimes you have to check out, make sure that everything's, you know, they're not doing anything and all that, you know, it says, that's all I was doing. I'm sorry. And, and they talked to him for like a five minutes or whatever. And, uh, and so then this, this story doesn't end really there because later on my brother and I went to go get a pizza at Papa John's and we went to the counter and this girl was behind the counter and she's like, she's like, Hey, and I was like, I was like, Hey, what's up? He's like, um, uh, I said something about working at the theater and she goes, Oh really? There was a guy who was looking at us from the roof. From the <laughs> <right time. laughs> she didn't remember who I was. Oh and I was like, Oh, I know. I probably know who that is. It's a terrible thing. He's like, yeah, he was just looking at us. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, there's, I, I, yeah, there's some dicks. There's some dicks that work there. Yeah. There. It's a perv, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So. How's the peeping? Yeah. How's the peeping time? So I told this story on a video on my Jeremy channel like two years ago, and I don't think most people will remember it, but it's worth telling again. And I think the podcast audience probably hasn't heard it. But uh, <clears throat> when I started my career, I worked at a little five screen in uh, Kankakee, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, the Paramount Theater. Uh, one big thousand seat restored Roaring Twenties style auditorium that was badass with a slope floor. And then four little mini stadium seating you know, recently built tiny auditoriums. And uh, 
my friends and I lived about 30 minutes north in this little suburb called Mantino, where we had cheaper apartments <laughs> and it was a little safer part of town. So we would have to drive basically on the highway or back roads about 30 minutes down to Kankakee to our jobs every day because we all had gone to college here and then we all got jobs there and kept living there after we graduated. So one day we we're all at work and the massive snowstorm starts to the point where the theater is not even going to be open. They've told me to close the theater. The roads are basically impassable. And none of the three of us can really get back home. Um, our fourth roommate was already at home and never left for the day. He could take care of the cats and what have you. And so I was like, all right, well, I was supposed to close tonight. Why don't we just meet up at the theater and watch movies all night long? Huh. Uh, and they were like, all right. And they were both like maybe three or four blocks from where the theater was. They worked at the same place. Um, so on the way over, they picked up a couple six packs of beer and a couple of packs of Squisher Sweet cigars at like <laughs> two in the morning. We're sitting in Auditorium 5, smoke, half smoke, half air in the auditorium, <laughs> barely see the screen. We're watching The Borrowers, that John Goodman oh, yeah. rip off of The Littles, which I think ripped off The Borrowers book. Anyway, <laughs> um, we've all had two or three beers. You know, it's cold outside, but warm in here. And out of nowhere, this massive bang on the auditorium door. And then, what are you doing? And oh, we shit. all about shit our pants. <laughs> and it turned out it was Brian, the manager of the theater, who was uh, younger than me. Uh, but somebody called him and said that the lights were on. Oh, oh God. Come on. And now I'm like, am I going to get in trouble for smoking cigars and drinking beer in this auditorium? <laughs> or even having my friends here? And he was like, what you watching? Walked in, grabbed a beer, and lit up a cigarette. Yeah. Oh, sat there and watched the rest of the movie That's with awesome. Uh, and that's one of my fondest. That doesn't make me look like an asshole, but that's one of my fondest theater memories ever uh, because it wouldn't have happened had circumstances not forced us. We we're never going to go, let's go watch seven hours of yeah. movies in, in the middle of the night and not sleep tonight. Uh, but because we had no real other option, it gave us this completely unique, wild experience. Yeah. Uh, fun story to tell. That's that's an awesome story because that's like the dream of any like young 20 year old guy right right because uh right. yeah you're in, run a of the theater. you're in a snowstorm you just grab some beer and you just sit your ass down and watch some movies with some some buddies man yeah. that's awesome yeah i awesome. actually did the same thing i had um there was a snowstorm and i invited a bunch of friends out awesome. it was 95 so it was like toy story oh, cool. sabrina nice stuff like that it was uh whatever but um but yeah that's always a fun thing my 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 uh my first manager said i know that there are a lot of people who come in here on Thursday nights and watch movies. I just don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. Just, you know, just don't tell me about it. And I was like, okay. Nice. And there were like several of those nights. Thursday nights, sometimes would be like 50 people. Well, there were waves course. even at Regal when we were there together where Regal would try and crack down on employee screenings and then not give a shit. And there were times where we were sneaking like 30 people in the back door and the, the one exit that had no camera or whatever, <laughs> like just to keep everybody. That that That's just why screenings are cool. Now, I, I later get to a point where I'd rather just watch a movie by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but those first several years of working in a theater and going in on Thursday night with employees and managers oh, and watching as a group, that's an experience you can't get any other way. No. Uh, anyway, um, you got another story for us? Yeah, mine it, mine actually relates to one of the movies we talked about today. We talked about Castaway. Mm -hmm. um, so I, at this at this point, uh, I think I have been uh, elected as booth manager when Castaway comes out. So I'm in charge of a lot of things that are going on, like building the prints and all that stuff. So I'm a big Thursday night regular, uh, all that. So 
Castaway, I, I think I worked the next Friday night, and what I was told when I came in from the day was uh, Castaway has a bad splice in it. And I was like, and bad splice just means that someone cut the head or foot of the, of the movie wrong on, on the reels and it goes out of frame. So, uh, I was like, that's weird. Like I, I'm, I don't think we had as, as a, a much of a screening policy as I, as we had later on. Uh, but I just assumed it was a print that was not watched. So, you know, it just has a bad splice in it. So, uh, the first, the first show I, it runs through and, and I think I actually, what I did was I actually like, actually like pushed the film to the center and found this splice yeah. and like pulled it out and looked at it and I shown a flash flashlight through it and all this other type of stuff. And I was like, I'm just not seeing it. It's there's no, there's nothing wrong with this. I, I don't know. I'll just let it, I'll run through though and I'll see what happens. Um, so the first show goes through and there's a bad splice. And I was like, okay. Um, so we go over and, and the framing knob on that particular projector was getting bad. Like it, you'd turn it and it wasn't getting into the gears uh. quite, quite as well. So first time though, I was able to, to get it in frame and everything. And this is during this big scene. Uh, Hanks has gone back home. He's, he, they've had their conversation in the kitchen and Helen Hunt is out on the doorstep uh, and it's raining yeah. and all other type of stuff. So I'm like, okay. So the next, the next, uh, the next movie, I did the same thing. Now what happened? This is something I had never seen before. The head and the foot of the, of the two reels had separated in the splicing tape. Oh my God. Like they weren't cut wrong. They just, they just sent, found a way to slip down and it went through in a weird I, so basically a, a splicing ta tape gap yeah suddenly That's crazy and just like they just pulled apart somehow and there was like a big gap in the middle of it so i was like okay that's easy enough to fix i guess and i just fixed it and put it back and everything everything was you know you just put new tape on it we're good and then the next show goes through and at this time i wasn't quite familiar with our projectors to the point where i could just fix anything like i would get to that point way later on and everything but the framing knob issue was a big deal with 14. Uh, it went through again. It did the exact same thing. Went out of frame. Same deal. The The film had pulled apart for whatever reason. Huh. And maybe it was just the way it went through in the projector or something like that. But on this particular showing, uh, I could not get it in frame. I couldn't, I couldn't get the framing knob back to where it needed to be. I couldn't, because it's a rainy scene and all this other type of stuff, even see. I couldn't see where the frame was. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like I started up. It's in the same exact out of frame as it was when I start, when it, when I left it. So I stop it again and I go back and I reframe it again. And then I start it. It's back to out of frame, exact same Jesus. spot. So I'm like, God, damn, so so then you started experimenting. You're just like, well, I'm just going to try something completely different. <laughs> and then it's way off on the next one. And the framing knob just won't work. That's the problem. I can't get it to move. But it, but at some point you get so frustrated and everything. And I was just like, I, I started the fourth time I started it and it went out of frame again. I was like, I cannot fucking get this goddamn thing to fall. There's like 230 people. And the, like the windows aren't exactly soundproof, by the way. Like you can, 
you can talk at a normal volume and people will hear what you're saying. <laughs> I was like, I screamed it. So, so like I'm sitting there like trying to get this perfect and everything. And I look down and there's like two guys in the front row, very front row, turning around, giving me that hey, hey, hey guy, that guy out there. <laughs> I'm sure that the people in the back were just like, Oh my God, this guy's pissed. What the fuck? Um, I did eventually get it back, you know, like I finally found the groove it needed to get into to get it in frame. Cause eventually you just try every single sprocket hole until, right. you, until you get it. And, uh, and I got it up and working and all that. And, uh, and then, then after that, I told the manager, I was like, look, I'm just going to make an experiment. I'm going to move this print to another auditorium. I learned also that these framing knobs that were Hollywood 27 had two Allen screws that were inside them that, they would become loose mm. and you'd have to tighten them and they were very hard to get to. So like you had to, I had to learn about that and to get the framing knob back and everything. But just because the thing had happened all day and it was not a bad splice, I was like, let's move it to another auditorium. Never happened again. Interesting. Yeah. And we, we switched exact same prints too. We just put cast away from 16 into 14, 14 into 16 and nothing happened again. All right. Well, so, there's a mystery you didn't solve. No, mm. no. Um, so we for the cliffhanger ending. <laughs> what? Was it a ghost? <laughs> it, was a ghost. <laughs> it was a ghost. Yeah, no, no, we never found out. Never. I'm just, I'm only assuming that it was because of the way the framing knob was positioned and it had a certain distance to go through in the projector itself that it just yanked those two pieces Weird. of film uh, well, it went Weird. through it. So, well, we got any cues today? We do. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Okay. First question. What TV shows do you recommend? You did a whole Game of Thrones episode and have mentioned Breaking Bad a few times, but what other ones do you guys love? I was thinking you could suggest some. Who wants to go first? Uh, because Jeremy is going to say all the ones that I would n normally say, I am going to mention <laughs> that. <laughs> That I watched one that I I don't know very many people watched, uh, and, it, and it was it was on just recently. Vice Principals mm -hmm. was on HBO. Now it's not a great show by any means at all. Um, I but I love Walton Goggins. The guy is yeah, yeah. perfect in this, and Danny McBride, of course, is perfect. He's just about two vice principals who want to overthrow the new principal that's <laughs> come through. The old principal's Bill Murray, who's like has, oh, a, yeah. has a cameo in the first episode um and then they 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 figure well we're vice principals so they're going to you know they're going to make one of us the principal and they end up take bringing in some other lady to be the principal who's been a principal at like five other different schools or whatever so there so goggins whole thing is let's find a way to get her out and we'll be the principal and everything. So the whole season is this of them doing awful fucking things to this woman. But like that, there's a lot of like good characterization in this and everything. Just like, you know, we get to get to know why Goggins is the way he is, why the principal is the way she is, why, why McBride is the way he is. And I love, this is something that happened in Eastbound and down a lot with, with him. I love how just cavalier he is about just saying fuck and and everything in front of students. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just he's just like a normal thing. You guys get you need to stop fucking around in here and you know whatever. <laughs> like it's just nobody ever says anything about it and it's that's what's so funny to me about it cuz no one would ever get away with what Danny McBride gets away with in these things, but 
uh, ends up with a with a cliffhanger ending that's pretty uh-huh. like, hmm, I might be interested in season two. Um, but if if you're not really into that Jody Hill, Danny McBride stuff, like Observe and Report mm-hmm. and all that, you probably wouldn't like this show. But that's uh, something I would recommend just if you're interested in that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to name anything that's like an undiscovered gem to you that you've never heard of. But I know that Better Call Saul doesn't get a ton of ratings. Yeah. It gets a lot of critical appeal, and it gets enough ratings to stay on the air, um, but there's not a lot of people watching it. No, that's weird. And I hate that. Yeah. Because it's so a different animal than Breaking Bad, and it's just as good in the quality level. Um, Deeper dives into the characters and what makes them tick. Um, And, you know, I love Fargo, the TV show. If I was going to pick one of these on my list right now to go home and watch, it would be that Fargo show. But I think I have to recommend Better Call Saul ahead of that, um, just for both how fewer people have probably seen it, and the there's a richness there. Fargo is like a cool crime caper with some humor, but there's a depth in Better Call Saul that I never saw coming. And there's oh, been yeah. one or two episodes every season that have just rocked me, where I'm like, wow, I didn't expect to have these many feels. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just can't recommend it enough it, uh, if you haven't seen it. It felt yeah. like it was going to be a knockoff when we first heard about it. Yeah. Like it was just going to be like, oh, it's going to be a fun little comedy with, you know, Bob Odenkirk and all this. And, and they really turned it into something that's worth watching yeah. every every hour. Like now, I think possibly they've been sort of instructed to make it more Breaking Bad like because the Mike Ehrmantraut character is starting to do a lot of his yeah I mean it makes sense but he also I don't know if they ever meant for him to be as big of a character as he is when they first started this maybe they did but it seems like they like maybe they got an edict that said you know this isn't Breaking Bad enough let's get you let's get all those old characters from breaking bad in there and like find a way to have them interact and stuff so there's so there are a lot of times where very better call saul's half saul and half breaking bad yeah but it works it works well yeah. people people don't know what to make of this show like if i'm telling people about it like i've talked to attorneys said you've watched this right and they're like oh no i have no idea it's it's like kind of a legal drama almost. it really is there's a lot of stuff with that and then, like, the whole relationship between Bob Odenkirk and Michael McKeon and his brother that's and everything. That's the soul of the show. Oh, man. I mean, that's I guess people just don't know how to interpret it, whether it's a knockoff or whether it's this or that. But they harmonize all that stuff. Well, and I'm a little brother. And so, and I, I think for the first 20 years of my life, I was mostly just following my brother at everything that he did. I probably mentioned this before, but... You can see that in Jimmy, looking at his mm-hmm. older brother. He wants to impress him. He wants to get praise from him. But ultimately, the only way he's going to be able to do it is to be the kind of loser his brother thinks he is. Yeah. And that's the only way his brother will really ever accept him. And it's tragic. It's tragic. Even though there's, like, belly laughs in every episode, it's way less comedy than I expected and way more well, family drama. And, and this mm-hmm. last season between them was the best. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's only been two seasons, but it was it was the best part of the show by far was their dynamic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because that was a whole long, like, five episodes that, that went through yep. uh, them trying to get over on each other, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. I'm not going to break any new ground because a lot of people have seen this, but I can't recommend Stranger Things enough. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, it's there's There's a lot of things going for it. It's the nostalgia. Their use of music, by the way, is just yes. like unparalleled in anything that I've, any TV show I've ever seen. But uh, 
like the characters are terrific. Those kids are just unbelievable. Yeah. Winona Ryder kills it. Um, the uh, sheriff, his the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I mean, it it's just really good, and then it, it's genuinely creepy too. Matthew Modine is is this yeah. you know very uh, covert type of scientist that uh, seems to know what's going on. The creature effects are are awesome. Uh, it's also compact. It's like eight episodes. You can burn through them like you know in a weekend or something like that, and it's worth it. It's it's really really good stuff. It's on Netflix um worth worth a look for sure yeah and has got officially a second season coming yeah so i can't wait it'll be great yeah and it's been so well received i still have yet to see it because like you just said made you made eight hours sound easy but carving out eight hours in my life is not as easy as it used to be um but it's been so well received i worry a little bit that we're going to get a string of knockoffs and wannabes that people are that we're going to get at this run on 80s nostalgia oh probably we for for sure will be getting that i mean we're already sort of getting that and that's sort of what this new season of south park has started to tap into by the way oh yeah the first three episodes i've seen have the there's this underlying thing going on in this season and we we find out about these things called member berries and all these berries are sitting there remember tatooine remember the 80s <laughs> remember the 90s remember all this stuff you know all that and that and it's like this this sort of this underlying thing going on in the town where like you're there's sort of a, a need to get back into the past and or relive the past and all that so there the stranger things does sort of tap into that and there is probably going to be more that we see. You yeah, know? Wouldn't be, be surprised if like a last Starfighter TV show came out or something like that. <laughs> Nothing, I, honestly, I'm at a point now after Lion King yesterday and the live action announcement. Nothing's going to surprise me. Yep. I'm no only going to get different levels of angry from this point <laughs> forward. It's not going to be a shock anymore. Nemo. They're going to do Nemo. Yeah, I'm telling you. Man. <laughs> we laughed about Lion King when yeah, we made that movie yeah. recipe yeah. and now they're doing it. Yep. Nemo will happen. Yep. Rat fuck. All right, next question. Who is your favorite minor comedic relief actor? Uh, we take this to mean, I guess, like, you know, somebody in like a drama or something like that, that that provides some comic relief. But there's also a lot of like minor comedic roles in comedies mm-hmm. that almost steal the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 when, I, when this question came up, all I thought about were, were comedies. And I tried to think of ones that weren't just necessarily cameos. But they were maybe smaller actors, at least then, that came in. and went. So uh, one is Steven Stucker in Airplane, mm-hmm. uh, who in many instances steals the movie because he's just goofy as hell. Yeah, uh, Everything he says is non sequitur and, and just doesn't make any sense, but he's great in it. Um, I also thought of uh, Jay and Silent Bob in both the Clerks movies. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Though they... In most of the other, I think, well, Mall Rats, they have a few scenes, and then yeah, like, they've uh, got a, and then in Chasing Amy, there's one scene, but in Clerks, they're always kind of like sewn into like what's going on, and they all every time they it's pointed at them, they're doing something funny. It's always great, especially in Clerks too, where Jay is doing the Silence of the Lambs <laughs> thing, <laughs> like because. Yeah, Cause there's the cause they cause he cuts away from it. He just starts playing the music from Silence of the Lamb, and then the next time you see him, he's got his penis tucked in between his legs. Um, and uh, also Sam Rockwell in Galaxy Quest. That was oh, another yeah. one. That, he's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm gonna go with Steve Zahn and that thing you do. Yeah. Yeah. Just before Steve Zahn is really a big, huge breakout star. 
but he gets I'd say 90% of this film's funniest lines, mm -hmm. like the interview on the radio where he cuts off <laughs> Tom Everett Scott and goes, this one time, we stayed up way past midnight, and then he starts laughing because he can't control himself. Yeah. When he's playing cards, and he's like, you got to be quick with me, and he shows his cards and wipes them right back, and he goes, I'm from Erie, PA. Uh, <laughs> or in the van, and they're signing with their first record dude, and he's like, this nice man in a camper who gave a stew wants to put our song on the radio give me a pen i'm signing we're all signing uh and you go through that movie and everybody's charming but if you're looking for laughs it almost all comes from all steve Zahn's Zahn, character. yeah and he just is the perfect guy to play that role i think my favorite line in the whole movie is when they finally get with tom hanks and he's like i'm going to change the spelling of your name no this more no more O-N-E wonders. And Steve sounds like, as in, I wonder whatever happened to the O-Neaters? Yeah. <laughs> just all these little throwaway moments that are just perfect. Anyway, uh, talked enough about that movie, but he's great in it. Yeah. The, immediately what I thought, I, I also thought about comedies for whatever reason. I don't think Rick Moranis' character in Ghostbusters is underappreciated. Yeah, 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 yeah. As, uh, as the key master. He's just, it brings like this, this I don't know, like a relatable nature to this super nerd um, that's just like going on about like, you know, taxes and, uh, you know, everybody's story and like, yeah, he's a CPA and he's just like, you know, hey. uh, it, it, he sells it so well. And then of course, after he, he, you know, gets possessed and all that stuff, it, it just goes off the rails and everything. And he's like, you know, do I want some? And Egon's like, yes, have some. He's like, yes, have some. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he gets some great lines and that's a great character. scene you're talking about where he's talking about the taxes and the CPA and all that was completely improvised. That's insane. Wow. It was not in the script. Wow. He came in and just did that. So yeah. that's freaking amazing. It's yeah. one of those things where Moranis probably stopped at the right time. He, he, became, he became a family man. You know, mm -hmm. was what, what he re basically retired to do. Uh, but I don't know if there was going to be any room for Moranis like in the 90s and, and yeah. I mean, that type of comedy and everything just, you know, just didn't fail by the wayside. Mm. Uh, quick one. Who made the best cameo of all time? Well, <laughs> that's a I mean, that that question is super, super hard, right? Like you <laughs> best of all time all, is nearly impossible. All right? time. <laughs> like to me, it you have to you have to sort of just go sort of condense it i guess into like um you know what was the most impactful alec baldwin and glengarry glenn ross yeah you know, sure. it's one of those where uh he's not even that character's not even in the play that david mamet wrote and then they put him in for the film and he comes in and kills it mm -hmm. and uh and listening to all the people talk about you know baldwin at that time because he was he was just hot shit and like every actor in there is is an established big time yep. actor and they see this asshole come in and start yelling at him they got the dynamic perfect for yep. that scene and everything and you know perfect lines perfect delivery baldwin comes in and kills it yeah he does absolutely i'm gonna steal barrett's because i'm a dick and i'm gonna say sean connery in robin hood prince of thieves <laughs> ah. um and it is, it's also one of the most needless and throwaway cameos ever. That's not a movie that's like screaming for a cameo, but yeah. it feels more like somebody important on set was good friends with Sean Connery and they knew they were going to have a scene with the king and they thought, why not get somebody great? And so Connery returns at the end of the movie on his horse and he's king 
George or whatever. The Lionheart. Fuck. Lionheart. <laughs> King George. Uh, <laughs> King whoever. Uh, right. But uh, great cameo. I remember, not a great movie, but I remember while watching the movie, I probably gasped. I yeah. probably was like, oh, that's Sean Connery. Well, oh my God. Yeah. And then they sort of parodied that in Men in Tights when uh, <laughs> the Patrick Stewart shows yeah. up at the end. <laughs> and starts making out with maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing I remember about Men in Tights was the song, We're Men. We're Men in Tights. And then that line, Are We Not Men? No, we are not men. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for my cameo, I'm going to go way back and do something completely out of the blue, and it's Truman Capote at Annie Hall. Ooh, wow. Uh, at, at that famous park scene where Woody Allen's just riffing on people going, you know, walking through the park and everything. He's like, oh, yeah. you know, these guys came back from Fire Island, and this kind of thing, and everything. And then he's like, oh, who's this guy? It literally lasts for like two seconds. Who's this guy? He's the winner of the Truman Capote lookalike contest. It's, it's fucking Truman, Truman Capote. Capote. <laughs> <laughs> he's in there for like a half a second. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> so that is it for this one. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts whether we're good we're bad whatever um but that will be it for this episode uh for chris atkinson jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com Yeah, good Canadians, man. I we don't know. understand what makes them laugh. No, exactly. E. 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 They're our second biggest listeners, I think. I think we I'm, love Canada. <laughs> true. Yeah, exactly. Canada is awesome. What an asshole. I really like having satellite radio now because, oh, yeah. well, variety, but do you ever listen to the Tom Petty station? Mm-mm. He does. He does his own voice breaks. Oh, and yeah. he just sounds like the happiest little stoner because he's like, you're listening to Tom Petty Radio and this is Tom Petty. You didn't expect it to be me, but it is. <laughs> it rules plus the porn station. Yeah. It's just a bunch of moaning. Just a bunch of moaning. Is there a porn station? The- no. Oh, no. There, there, there was the Playboy channel was on there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You remember you that? Had, you, and you had like women uh, doing taking calls and stuff yeah. like that and guys would call in and try to come up with their best scenario and stuff and, and they would like, sit there and encourage you yeah yeah it's like oh yeah okay and then they'd start talking and like okay you're you're, you're not doing anything for me right now and they're like okay well then i kiss you really hard and then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and so like uh yeah <laughs> there was at one point when it first started, I think it was XM, it wasn't Sirius when they were separate. There was a penthouse station, and then Sirius had the Playboy station. Mm. And I was riding with uh, my mother-in-law, my future to- mother-in-law, and we were just kind of doing errands. They were living in Huntsville. And Candy was just like flipping through, you know, the stations and everything. And, like she got distracted on the penthouse station she was talking, and they started doing that shit with my mother-in-law <laughs> in the car. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, let's, yeah, let's change yeah. that. Let's get out of this real quick. <laughs> You're sliding your <laughs> hand up my thigh. Yeah. Oh, it was so ridiculous, too. Like, these girls would be sitting there, like, you know, during, a, you know, I don't know, an hours long kind of session. They would, like, everybody who came up with good calls, they'd somehow have, find a way to 
have five orgasms during <laughs> that. <laughs> Cindy, I totally came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Didn't you see? That's the best part of uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he's he's on that tear, where after he breaks up with her and he like you know screws a bunch of girls, <laughs> and the girl's like, mm, mm, I just came. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like looking down at her like. <laughs> I, I want to be my L over somebody's T's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Said horn, you can yeah. cut that horn. Yeah. Uh, or leave it in now that we're laughing. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a really dirty sounding movie title The Whole Nine Yards. Ah. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound dirty, but uh, awesome comedy. Or uh, Coyote yeah. Ugly. <laughs> anyway. Coyote Ugly. Yeah. yeah there's anyway. a John Goodman's best performance in that movie right <laughs> Yes. There. The the movie that was based on a bar that spawned a new generation of the same bar, basically. There's still <laughs> yeah. there's still a billboard up on the interstate on the way over to Chris's place that says the most famous bar in the world. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what were we talking about before we all, I don't know. I probably, on snatch I, and blow I, and I fucking disrail, I derailed this shit. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, because unlike a train, that was a tactless thing to say. Anyway. We can right the rail and get back on track. But, uh, yeah, Jenna Fisher is so funny in that because she's <laughs> keeps throwing herself at him and everything. And she's like, Oh, how dare you? <laughs> you know, you keep, I'm married. <laughs> got her boobs hanging out and all sorts of <laughs> Do we? The night Laura's daddy died. Brother, what a night it really was. Mother, what a night it really and Gina's tough. Thinking in some countries these dogs are eaten. And then No and then No and then No and then No and then And then No No and then Piss me off, lady. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Did not know who was fucking with. You're the man now, dog. In 87, Huey released this for their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should. Friend? Some of your folding money has come unstowed. 